Here's the thing. Saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock, he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. Hey, I'm Joe Levy, and on the latest episode of Inside the Studio, I sat down with one of the all-time great singer-songwriters, James Taylor. We talked about his new album, where his music comes from, and how telling his life story through his songs has helped him. Music saved my life, but I was lucky also to survive. I did some very stupid, some some years that were were just really high risk, unnecessarily so, and a lot of people around us died, you know. So join me, Joe Levy, editor-at-large at Billboard, for this and other in-depth conversations with the biggest artists in music. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get podcasts. Welcome to Movie Crush, a production of iHeartRadio. Hey everybody! Welcome to Movie Crush Friday Interview Edition. Uh, Casey's in the his house. Hello. How's it going? It's going good, man. the The weather's cooled down. Yes. So it, it feels like the appropriate time to talk about this movie. Yeah. Wasn't that weather uh, thing weird? It was. It was like two Saturdays ago. Yeah. Or no, it was. It was Halloween. Yeah. 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 When the temperature dropped like thirty degrees in an it's hour. A thirty and a degree half. swing is crazy. It yeah. was so fast. It was yeah. crazy. It was really, really. Um, it provided for a spooky Halloween. <laughs> it did. It was kind of perfect. Kind of unique, strange atmosphere. And you do mention the weather in this movie, and uh, we're talking about The Ice Storm, the, to me, classic film from Ang Lee, 1997. Absolutely. Based on Rick Moody's novel, screenplay by James uh, Shamus. Uh, and the the weather in this movie is so important. It's like another character. It's kind of a cliche, but it really, it really is. is true. Yeah. yeah. And it's kind of the – this is jumping ahead, but it's it's like the unifying thing because mm-hmm. everybody is so alienated and disconnected and kind of talking past each other and yeah. trying their best to kind of stay in their bubbles of isolation and mm-hmm. not kind of like, you know, breach the surface of like polite conversation. Yeah, they're icy relationships. Yeah, and, um, and the ice storm kind of is the thing that finally forces everyone to kind of deal with each other as like real human beings. Yeah. And you could you could find kind of similar – I was thinking in terms of like, you know, shortcuts. There's like the earthquake at the end. Yeah. Uh, Magnolia, there's the frogs, of course. Right. You know, there are these ideas, like the idea of like the an ensemble cast that's kind of all brought together by this unifying kind of natural event. Yeah, totally. Um, I saw this in the theater in uh, 1997 when I was living in New Jersey. I went to the Angelica Film Center in New York. Cool. One of my favorite places, which is where I saw The Lighthouse yeah. recently. And um, it really, like, really moved me at the time. Oh, yeah. And has become one of my favorite films. Um, and I've said this before, and I'll say it again. It Somehow, uh, Ang Lee 
and it shows what a great director he is, um, you know, of Asian descent, somehow captures America in the 1970s better than any American director that I've ever seen, maybe. Yeah, well, maybe, I mean, that might be because it's not firsthand knowledge so much to him. Maybe. It's so not a nostalgia trip. You have to find it and, and research and reference and, and really, like, studying hard. And, of course, I mean, he has the, the benefit of amazing production design and so on. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I think I think sometimes the best films about America are made by non-Americans. You think of, like, Paris, Texas by Vin Benders or something. Oh, yeah. Um, it's the idea of, like, shooting America kind of as a foreign country. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, I, th- I think people – I think when you're from a place – Obviously, you have a, a high degree of, like, intense familiarity with it. Right. That can almost blind you in a way. But maybe not the fascination that someone like Ang Lee might exactly. have. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, it's everything's kind of new again mm-hmm. when you're coming with a different perspective. So Yeah. yeah. Boy, this movie just nailed it. I mean, I grew up uh, – uh, when was the set? 73. 73. Yeah. yeah. And they, so, they make a lot about uh, – you know, there's there's a lot of emphasis put on – it being 73 in particular. Right. The Nixon. Yeah, Nixon and just kind of the idea that it's only a few years after the 60s mm-hmm. and yet it feels like we've entered this new age, this kind of malaise, this sense of like mm-hmm. the revolution didn't come. Right. You know, and, and the kind of like the the dream is sort of dead and now it's just this right. like lost time where people feel kind of – you know, they they they're just not sure what they're doing. Everybody's a little bit lost. Yeah, I mean, it's that uh, that post '60s malaise, like yeah. you said, uh, when everyone, I think, in the late '60s, there was so much hope. Yeah, yeah, for change. And then I think, uh, I mean, historians point to the Democratic National Convention, right? '68, yeah, as sort of the turning point when things started to, yeah, to go bad. Yeah. Of course, you have like 69, you have Sharon Tate murder, you know, all that mm-hmm. Manson. Um, and I think at the time, the 70s were sort of we, – we look back at them now as like, you know, with great glee. But I think at the times, every, everyone was like, the 70s kind yeah. of sucks. Yeah. And I think too, like um, the, the first few years of any given decade is always like a weird blend mm-hmm. where there's so much holdover from the decade prior. Right. And and it's still you're still kind of feeling your way into what this thing's going to be. And it's really not until I think later in the decade that you kind of solidify like what even is this decade, you know? Yeah, I'm fascinated with that stuff, man, because of of time, uh the arbitrary nature of a person and yeah. man saying, "Well, this is our calendar." And this is the end of something. Yeah. And this is the beginning of something when it's like, no, that was just yesterday. It's very arbitrary. Today is no different. Yeah. But what it is 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 forget the calendar numbers, forget months and years and decades. It's the passage of time. Yeah. And the yeah. sun rising and setting. Right. Over a long enough period, which we call years, uh, that does mean something. And it's kind of like, I mean, it's it's almost a chicken and egg thing. Do we have decades because we have the system that right. we think in terms of exactly. tens and like, or we it, just categorized yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, we categorized it. But then also, like, do we feel an obligation almost to switch up what we're doing when it becomes like another decade? Well, I think know? that's definitely true. Yeah, um, and especially when you see things like Boogie Nights, when seventy nine goes into eighty. Oh yeah, and it feels like a switch is flipped. It's yes. like it's a brand new thing for everyone. Well, they you introduce can, it in a hell of a way. You can start yeah. over. Yeah. You know? Really yeah, interesting. yeah, and um, uh, I, I think also the something on the on the commentary track that that Angley talks about a lot, and James Seamus, who's also on the commentary, um, they 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 were conscious that 
you know, in a year like 1973, there's still going to be people dressed like it's still the 60s and so on. Mm-hmm. They didn't do that so much in this film. They really went for everything to feel like up to the minute kind of. Yeah. And their, their sort of um, rationale for that was that they're not creating necessarily something that feels like a camera dropped into 1973 and started filming. Mm-hmm. It's more about the memory of that period and what we associate with it. And so it's almost more 1973 than 1973. You know, it's a more perfect version of 1973. Yeah, although it's it feels like someone dropped a camera in 1973. <laughs> yeah, like well, it, because of your memory of it probably, you know. Probably so. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, because so, you know, I was two years old in 73, so obviously you don't have memories of that. But I have very distinct memories of um, 75, 76, right, 77 right. and what life was like then. Uh, and this really uh, – very evocative for me. Yeah. Like it hit a lot of – not nostalgia buttons because there's not anything in this movie that's happy. The, or, closest, the closest they get is like that, that shot of Wendy's foot when she's got the, the, the multicolored like toes on mm-hmm. the sock. Yeah. Um, there are little hints like and just that. Like, yeah, just like little <laughs> kind, of, kind of funny things like that. But they're, they're few and far between. By and large, this is not a nostalgia movie. It's not a sort of like yeah. – look at how funny everybody was dressed back then sort of thing. No, and no one feels um, – and this is a testament to the set design and the, and the costumes and wardrobe, but no one ever feels like they're in a costume. Yeah, exactly. It, it just feels very real. Yeah. Um, even the um, way over-the-top 70s-ness of the, the Sigourney Weaver and yes. uh, Jamie Sheridan's house. Yes. Which, by the way, like I want to live oh, in, I do too. in that house. Absolutely. Even the colonial uh, – Kevin Klein's like those picture windows by that river in the yeah, backyard, yeah. like this forested suburb was just like it was because this is sort of how I grew up. I grew up in the woods yeah. on a house with uh, a street with eight houses. It wasn't like some big suburban neighborhood. Right, right. And we had a creek in the woods behind our house and we lived on like two acres. Yeah. So this in the wintertime in my home, it reminded me very much of what was going on here. Yeah. I know for me, like watching um Watching the film, the first time I saw it, I didn't get to see it in theaters, but I saw it on DVD, like, probably the next year, 98 or so. How old were you? I would have been 15. Interesting. So, I, I you know. Interesting age to see this. Watching it at that age, my obviously my most intense identification was with Tobey Maguire mm-hmm. and Paul Hood. Mm-hmm. And, um, yeah, something about watching it. I think I watched it, you know, during the winter, during the cold months. Yeah. And um, it's not a summer film. <laughs> no, no. And and I was, you know, I was upstairs, my parents' house in my room. Mm-hmm. And I just had this sense of, you know, it's it's when you're, especially when you're a teenager, at least a lot of teenagers get this way. They kind of isolate from their families a little bit. They mm-hmm. want to define themselves separately. And, um, and so you're kind of. It's weird because you're you're sort of with your family because you're still living under their roof. Uh-huh. You're still seeing them for meals and, you know, interactions and so on. Right. But you're also kind of tucking yourself away, like it's creating yeah. a separate thing. And I have this feeling of, yeah, watching that film, knowing that, you know, my parents are like downstairs, uh-huh. but I'm kind of up here and I'm having yeah. this experience and so on. It's like we'll meet up a couple of times a day. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and break bread. <laughs> and just like, you know, it's like like uh, like Kevin Klein says in the movie to, to Paul, he's, um, he's like – you know, the whole point of you coming home is so that your mother and I can wait on you hand and foot and yeah. you can grunt at us and we can give you more food. And yeah. it's like, we enjoy that kind of thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and um, you know, at the, at the time that idea seems very strange and, and kind of like he must not mean it or something. But of course he does, you know. He misses that that sense of just like being a parent and, mm-hmm. and caring for somebody. Um, 
So yeah, now watching it, gosh, how many years later? Like 20, 22 years later? Yeah, crazy. Um, it's a very different experience for me um, because like in the novel uh, – Did you read it? Yeah, well, sort of. Okay. I, I, I took a class in college where every, every um, film that we were assigned was an adaptation of a book. Okay. And so we were assigned the book and the film. Mm. So and you, you cheated on this one? <laughs> I didn't really cheat. I just kind of um, – I read enough of the book, I guess. Uh, okay. you know? I read enough of the book to get, I'd like to get to read the gist. It. It's really funny. I, I, I took it out again to, uh, to look over for, for this episode, and I found, like, my bookmark from 2004. Where was it? What it was page? page, like, 187 or something. Oh, that's respectable. So I made, I made it most of the way through, but I, I bailed at some point. And so then for this, I just went back and reread, like, the very first chapter. Um, where was I going with all that? Oh, so watching it now. Mm-hmm. So in the book, it mentions that Benjamin Hood, the Kevin Klein character, is yeah. 39. I'm 36 now. And so thirty nine. I know Jesus. he's. I mean, he's he, he plays a little bit, maybe slightly older in the film. I think. I feel like they all felt like they were forty four. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Some definitely like mid forties. I mm-hmm. think. So in the in the book, he's just slightly younger. Yeah. But at the same time, in the book, he's described as kind of like having lost his hair already. Oh, interesting. Um, just just feeling extremely like over the hill kind of and huh. sort of like past it. Yeah. And uh, you know, in the in the film, Kevin Klein is still very like. You know, handsome and and yeah. you know, virile, virile, exactly. So there's there's a slight difference there, but in terms of like his own kind of midlife crisis and everything, mm-hmm. that's I think that's more or less the same in both. Yeah, man, it's uh, boy, this is a movie about. Uh, I've seen this movie a bunch of times, but it had been a minute. It's a it's such a movie about uh, people seeking connections and not. Ever getting them. Missing them, yeah. I mean, sometimes, but rarely. And I just kept counting so many instances where it's a husband trying to connect with a wife or a a parent trying to connect with a child or children trying to make connections with each other. Yeah. They kind of become uh, more connected than anyone, I guess. Yes. I think think Wendy and Sandy, you know, end up having like the best genuine connection. Yeah. That – you know they're 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 like in bed together. As far as we can tell, they're not doing anything sexual. They're just kind of like with yeah, each I other. I read one cuddling, review you know? said something about like you know one of them loses their virginity. No, I'm like no, no. I don't even. I think I think he, I mean the kid. You know the uh, Sammy he passes out drunk like almost immediately. Yeah, and they just kind of like they're they're just keeping each other warm basically. And their kids they're playing adult. Yeah, exactly. All the adults are playing kid. Yeah, and all the kids are playing adult. Absolutely. But they're they're doing. You know, they're drinking the vodka and then they take off their clothes and get in bed together. Yeah, because that's what they see all around them. That's what their parents do. Yeah. yeah, that's that's what they've kind of been taught. That's that's the model that they've kind of learned. So it's all very innocent, though. Like uh, yeah. that age, that adolescent age, where you don't know what the fuck is going on in your yeah. body. Yeah, you don't know what these feelings are. You don't know how to do any of this stuff. Yeah, physically, um, it's just so awkward in this movie, and it doesn't like. I don't know. I feel like a lot of movies like coming of age play it play it too broad mm-hmm. um, with the, the the lack of awareness about sex yeah. and how to do things. It can be way over the top sometimes. And this is just so real, man. It's perfect, yeah. It's just like I remember having these feelings and, and fumbling around and being like, I, you know, you just there's – and I had parents who like 
They didn't tell me about any stuff. Right, right. Never so, had like the talk. Fuck no. Yeah, I didn't yeah. know what was going on. You're picking all this stuff up secondhand yeah. off the playground. Some of it blatantly wrong. That's how, yeah. I mean, that's how you learn. You learn it from like the older kids, you know, or maybe like someone that's your age who heard it from their older sibling. Or, yeah, like a 14-year-old is learning about sex from a 16-year-old, which find, is find so a, funny. Find a playboy in the woods or <laughs> whatever, you oh, know. Yeah, that old, that old move. Yeah. <laughs> It's like, I wonder what, what's in that treehouse. But it's it's funny. Sigourney Weaver has that great speech to Wendy where she's like, you know, in adolescence, our bodies betray us and your yeah. body is your temple and yeah. you only get one in this life. It's your first and last possession. And I know. It's interesting the takes that the parents have on this stuff because they're all different. She has that funny thing where she says um, – you know, and like she calls it like developing countries or something. Uh-huh. She's like, you know, they, they, they just – when the kids reach a certain age, they send them off into <laughs> yeah. the woods without any weapons or anything and they don't come back until they've learned a thing or two. Yeah. And you don't really – you know, you kind of know what she's getting at. But to the kid, it's just like, what are you talking about? Well, and that – Christina Ricci is so good in this. Yeah. All the acting is just off the charts yes. in this movie. I mean the cast is insane. Like the, the number of people. Yeah. Katie Holmes I don't think even gets like billing up front. It was her first film. Yeah, yeah. It was her film debut. Yeah. So when she um, pops up, you know, first time around anyway, it's like, oh, my gosh, it's, you know. Toby Maguire, of course, Joan Allen. We'll just tick through the cast. Yeah. Kevin Klein uh, are, the, are the married couple, Christina Ricci and Toby Maguire, their kids. Uh, Sigourney Weaver, who is, I think, kind of steals the movie in a lot of ways. Absolutely. If you can steal this movie. Yeah. Uh, Jamie Sheridan is great. And then Elijah Wood and yeah. uh, Adam Hahn or yeah. Han Bird yeah. as Sandy, yeah. who is so good in this movie. Yes. And forget, like— David Crumholtz. Yes. Crumholtz is in it. He's one of my favorite actors of all time. Oh, my God. Time. Just like the, the ultimate asshole kind oh of. Oh, my like, God. But I feel like we all knew that that guy. Oh, of you course. Know? Like yeah. your back is turned and he's yes. moving in on your girl. Yes, yes. Like your best friend. Right, right. Totally. Yeah. So um, that was a good overview. We'll kind of go in order, but we can go all over the place. Sure, sure. Uh, but the movie opens with that great through line of the Fantastic Four stuff. Yeah, yeah. So effective. In a kind of a funny, um, I don't know, irony of history or something that you've got Tobey Maguire who goes on to play Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. You've got Ang Lee who goes on to direct Hulk. You've got, you know, yeah. Katie Holmes. This is not Marvel, but Katie Holmes who's in Wonder Batman Boys. Begins. And Wonder Boys too, yeah. yeah. Um, what was the first one you said? Was in what? Batman Begins. Oh, Just right. a, you know, comic book adaptation. Uh-huh. Um, and I think Pleasantville was Joan Allen and Tobey right, Maguire. There's right. a lot of weird crossover. Yeah, a lot of, lot of, lot of um, crisscrossing in, in that period in like, you know, semi-independent film. Yeah. Although it's backed by a larger studio, it's, you know, very much like in that mold. Yeah, and didn't do well. Um, yes, it was kind of a, a commercial flop. Well, they say um, on the on the commentary, um, the first one of the first things James Seamus says to Ang Lee is like, "So Ang, here it is, like your worst tested movie ever, like you know, just Which is the just worst nuts. feedback that was ever given." And because he's made some pretty bad movies, yeah, the, over the last like ten or fifteen years. I know, I and know. some good ones. He's I keep, confounding. I keep, um, yeah, he's 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 um he's he's hard to pin down. He 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 swings between so many different genres and yeah. Um, something like Life of Pi was really good. Yeah, but th- this new movie just is Gemini getting Man. atrocious. Yeah, uh, I've I've reviews. seen some I've seen some positive you know words written about it oh, by really? like cinephile type people. Huh. But I, there's a certain thing that happens with some cinephiles where it's almost like a contrarianism or mm-hmm. or, or or sort of. Um, like fetishizing the the film that's rejected by a mass audience and kind oh, right. of rediscovering like something good about it. Yeah, like everyone hates this, so let me take a closer yeah, look. Yeah, yeah, let's take a closer that's look valid. at this. So um, it is valid. And, of course, Ang Lee is like a director that's worth 
making that kind of Absolutely. investment in and, and sort of taking a, a closer look and saying like, yeah. is this really as bad as people are saying, et cetera. Right. But I agree. yeah, he's, he is somebody that, I mean, I feel like he's never made another film remotely like in this mold, you know, like a domestic drama yeah. or even just, yeah, really, really anything that, that um, comes close to the, the feeling that this film gives. And maybe it's better that he doesn't because yeah. how, where, how are you going to improve? How are you going to, you know? Yeah. And this movie was a real throwback to, um, I mean, set in 73, but a throwback to a time when they were making these adult dramas um, uh, that they certainly don't feel like they make anymore. Yeah. And I don't even think they were making them that much in 1997. Right. Yeah. I mean, already it was it was starting to it, – it I mean, it had been turning since whatever you want to say, like Star Wars and, and, yeah. and all the rest of it, late 70s. But um, certainly like by the 90s, there was that, that kind of moment, that resurgence of the independent film mm-hmm. and Sundance and all that kind of stuff was happening. But – yeah, the the kind of like big budget adult drama that we used to see all the time in the seventies. Yeah, this was an eighteen million dollar budgeted film. Crazy. This, uh, this would be made for like five hundred thousand dollars today. You yeah, know? it would. I imagine they paid the cast pretty well. Yeah, yeah. Because I can't imagine what else they were spending on. Uh, yeah, I mean, um, I, 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 I know mean, it was a bunch of interiors and sh- true, just a true. few a few locations. Yeah, they they did shoot it in like the real New Canaan, which yeah. is interesting. Which which cool. maybe. That could have added to the budget if it wasn't necessarily like a film-friendly or film-ready type city. Yeah, not that had much kind of, But yeah, not, <laughs> not that much. Well, I mean, you're, I guess you're paying to have the, the cast and crew stay there because you're not shooting in like L.A. or New York. Or yeah, I mean, location's always a bit more, but uh, we um, on commercials. It's not $18 we, million dollars worth, though. No, yeah. certainly not. Here's the thing. Saving money with Geico is almost better than playing pickup basketball. Because there's always that guy who joins your game. He never passes the rock, he constantly bricks threes, and he'll completely hack you and then put his hands up and say, no foul, no foul. With GEICO, it's easy to switch and save on car insurance. No need to fake an ankle sprain because you're absolutely exhausted. So switch and save with GEICO. It's almost better than sports. Hey, it's Ben, Henry, and Marcus, hosts of The Last Podcast on the Left. Our show's dedicated to uncovering hilariously horrifying stuff. And now we're only on Spotify. Join us. If you want. Obviously, we'd never force anyone to just blindly join us. That'd be crazy. But if you like stories about doomsday cults who do exactly that and more, please join us on Spotify. Visit Spotify.com slash last podcast to listen free. But what's your take on the Fantastic Four stuff? It's – I love this kind of narration. It's a little on the nose, but to to say sort of – explicitly say like sort of this is the theme of yeah. this film. I think it, I think it really, it really uh, ties everything together mm-hmm. in an important way. And there's it's, – it's funny because when the movie starts – Is that in the book first of all? I believe it is. Okay. Yeah. Um, I, I could be wrong about that. I'm pretty sure it's in the book though. All right. But – there's only really like three kind of main chunks of uh, voiceover in in the film mm-hmm. that's sort of like beginning, middle, end. Yeah. Everything else is is without voiceover, but each time it comes in, it just has this way of mm-hmm. really connecting and really kind of um, reinforcing yeah. the themes of the film. Like you said, almost outright stating them mm-hmm. in terms of the idea about family and um, – Family like fighting with itself. Yeah. Um, the the idea of like the the negative zone uh-huh. that that this this place where 
you know, life doesn't quite work out the way you think it should. Mm -hmm. And it almost feels like a mistake has been made. Yeah. And like you've entered into the bad timeline or something, you know, and we've all had that feeling. Um, But um, and and yeah, and the idea that some people go all the way into it and maybe never come back out again. Yeah. um, I think that's very interesting. I, I think it's interesting to pull that, you know, from a comic book. Um, I mean, it just goes to show that that these these themes. I mean, they they can be communicated in, in so many different mediums, and comic books can can take on mm-hmm. like serious adult themes too. Yeah, um, and it's worth pointing out too, because uh, I remember at the time when I saw it in 1997, this was pre all the superhero movies, right? Right. So when he was talking about the Fantastic Four and relating it to like everyday life, it was really really cool. Yeah. Yeah, and you would you'd never see it done today, I don't think. Probably nah. by a drama because it would just kind of be like, well, why are you referencing yeah. something that's like I agree. so so ubiquitous? Um, so yeah, I, I mean, I I think that's it's also interesting because Paul Hood is like 16 years old, so while he's he's reading like Dostoevsky mm-hmm. in in school and, and he the seems, idiot, yeah, the idiot. <laughs> um, he's like, if you love Nose from Underground, you'll Man. love the idiot. The idiot. She's like the idiot. Yeah, that was great. Um, but yeah, so he he it's, it reminds you in a way that he's still a kid too. Uh-huh. That, but but he's he's beginning to have more of an adult perspective mm-hmm. on these things from childhood. Mm-hmm. That he's able to see what maybe the the writers are are really getting at. Mm-hmm. Whereas a younger you know reader might just think about the fights and the cool superpowers and that right. sort of thing, you know? Exactly. But he's he's really starting to kind of realize that there, there are layers to this and that family is this really complicated, yeah. like, love it or hate it or both right. kind of thing. Yeah, and it's, it also does that thing uh, that I love is when a movie starts at the end. Yes. It's just, it's one of my favorite devices. Uh, when I've written screenplays, I've tried to use it. I've tried to force it in there. Yeah. Uh, and when it works, it really works. There's something really satisfying about um, – because it's sort of like you almost forget that beginning mm-hmm. when you're in the flow of the movie. And then yeah. when it comes up again, so you, you realize, it. oh, the movie's been building back up towards itself. And right. now it's going to kind of yeah. finish out. Yeah. And not in the way – because it can be done in a lot of ways. It can be done in like an action film where someone is like yeah. dying or something. And then you go back kind of and, thing. And this is not yeah. that. This is – a very small little thing, which is a kid being picked up at the train station. Yeah. Uh, but it's as you learn to find out, it, there's a lot more going on in that scene than you certainly know at the beginning. Even in terms of whether the train has power or not, mm-hmm. and you think about how that relates to what happens with uh, the Elijah Wood character, you know? Yeah, and yeah. boy, that that shot of the uh, of the train creaking to a halt, right? And you've been around the ice storms, the and... uh, the silence. Yes. Either and snow does the same thing; it right. just dampens everything. Yeah. And that eerily, you know, the lights went dark, and the train goes, yeah. and it's here, just dead quiet. Were you here in '93 when the when the blizzard happened? Were you like out west at that point? Or? I was. Uh, where was I in '93? I was in Athens. I was in college. Okay. So you do you remember that blizzard mm-hmm. that winter? Yeah, yeah. I mean that's that's kind of the the strongest association I have. Yeah. Um, for for those that are not from Georgia, like, right? There was a, a kind of like freak blizzard that happened. I want to say around like March or something. Yeah, maybe, maybe February, but I, I feel like it was like you know later in the season. Mm-hmm. And um, it was a big party in Athens, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> in 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 suburban Roswell, Georgia, it was right. a little more like <laughs> the ice storm. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> 
you know, no power for, for multiple days. and Yeah, and ice storms are weird looking too. Like yeah. it's different than a snowstorm. Well, there were like thunderstorms happening, so you couldn't really mm-hmm. even like go play outside in the snow. It, yeah. was, it wasn't like a fun snow. No, no, It was no, just no. sort of like the elements, you know. Um, and when the trees freeze over, yeah. it's just everything. There's a weight yeah, to exactly. everything. It, everything feels burdened and fragile. Right, and and there's, there's something real beautiful about it. Yeah. But there's also like you know, some danger to it. For sure. And and it's kind of yeah, the the movie does such a great job of 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 conveying that silence yeah. with just like the wind chimes and mm-hmm. kind of the 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 crackling of the ice and the trees as the wind blows them. It's the title of the film, you yeah, know, for a yeah, reason. Yeah. It wasn't called, you know, the uh what was the name of the uh the family? Uh the Hoods. Yeah, it wasn't called the Hoods or yeah, anything like yeah. that. It was called the Ice Storm. Yeah. Yeah. Um while I'm thinking about it, the the name of the other family, the Carvers, yeah, in the book they're the Williamses. Oh, interesting. So they changed it to the Carver, which I imagine is a reference to Raymond Carver. Oh, you could think? be wrong, but yeah. I mean, I think he he certainly this film and his short stories share a lot of the same DNA, kind of in mm-hmm. terms of the themes of you know suburban alienation, right, and and sort of um, the everyday, yeah, the everyday. Carver's a little more working class, and I think. This film is is set in a more like kind of upper middle class milieu, but yeah, you know the the same same underlying feeling that um, you know America is kind of a, a sad place with a lot of people that are lonely and alienated and, and so on and so forth. Yeah, um, let's talk about some of these characters, uh, Kevin Klein, and you know we'll we'll do it as we go too. But I want to talk about him for a minute. Yes, Ben uh, Hood is he's such a dope. Yeah, he's so dopey. But he doesn't – he's not a dummy. No. And those are two different things. Um, he never – he's always trying to force something to happen unnaturally. Yeah. Whether it's, you know, the perfect Thanksgiving dinner or asking Wendy to say grace, which is like <laughs> she didn't want to say grace. I love that And scene. if you knew your daughter, you would know she doesn't want to say grace. Yeah. Like he should have known what was coming. They On the commentary, they say that he he's basically proceeding – as if it were almost the 1950s, he has that kind of like father knows best thing going on. Yeah, he's checked out. But he's also at the same time, he himself is is doubting and skeptical about mm-hmm. that. So sometimes he tries to play the stern father. Yeah. But he immediately kind of gives in. It's all an act. Yeah. He is not – He he's, he's always playing something. It's like when um, – you know, when Wendy is on the telephone in her room and he pulls the cord yeah. and she calls him Love a fascist. And, uh, and he goes, if I were a fascist, I would send you to military school somewhere down south, you know? Yeah, he slams the door, go to bed, yeah. and then maybe one beat later he opens that door. It's like, hey, kid, it's all right, you know? And I, I love their – like he's such a dopey character, but there are a couple of great moments where that one and then obviously the one where he carries her home. Right, yeah. Just like – tear to your eye. The – um. Yeah, and again, like the way he does that stern, like, you come with me right now, young lady, you know? Yeah. He, it's, he it's really puffs his chest out. Well, he has to do that in front of Mikey, I think. Yeah. And, and then, then on the way home. As, as soon as he's walking home, he's like, look, kid, I don't really care. Yeah, he's you like, know? I don't really care about that I just stuff. don't think he's right for you. Like, there's there's <laughs> Dude, pragmatic reasons. That is one of my favorite exchanges yeah. in the movie. Yeah. You know, I really don't care. I just don't think he's right yeah. for you. And then he says, uh, when you get older, you have a certain sense about whether or not things are going to work out with someone. And whether the mess is <laughs> worth it. Yeah. Yeah, and and he's fucking right, man. He is. He's totally right there. But he is a mess. Like for him to be giving advice on relationships is a joke. Yeah. Cuz sure. A, he's having an affair. B, 
he's so checked out that he thinks he's getting away with it. Yeah. You know? He, he's, he's not noticing all the signs and clues, and it's so obvious yeah. to anybody that's really observant. You and know? and, when, he's, and he, when he's finally busted, it's such a, it's such a real moment because it's not a big fight. Yeah. It's not a, I got you, yeah. and he denies it. Yeah. It's very quiet and just sad. Because she has that, she she could have had that moment yeah. with with the the cup, the mug. Uh-huh. You know, she could have confronted him and said, "Whatever, like the mug's still here, yeah. or I took the mug back, or however it is that she knows that he's lying." Which they don't even reveal, which yeah. is kind of perfect. Yeah, she, all she says is like that stupid fucking mug. You know, she's yeah, kind of like, "I thought she was going to run and get it out of the yeah, cupboard." Yeah, exactly. Like that's what I think a more obvious film right, might have done. Right. But um, he's like, "Oh, you mean this mug?" You yeah, know? exactly. Yeah, it, it's just yeah, and I love that. They they never really even use the word affair, I don't think, at mm-hmm. least not, you know, within uh, just uh, Benjamin and Elena. It's it's like she's she's doing the dishes. I mean, I love um, I love that there's in that scene. Mm-hmm. It's not just two characters standing in a room back and forth mm-hmm. conversation. They're both kind of they're getting ready to go out to this party. Yeah. She's doing the dishes. They're emptying the dishes into the into the trash can. Uh-huh. He like drops the plate when he's scraping yeah. the food off because he's on edge. Uh-huh. And um and there's just, so many little moments. Yeah, there's so much so much that's revealed through behavior and it just feels so true to life that yeah. these situations never play out in like a vacuum. There's always yeah. life going on in the background. Yeah. And, and sometimes it's kind of like you know, what are we going to do? We're going to have this big argument right now. She, right. she says to him, um, you know, don't, don't start. Um, mm-hmm. You know, I, I don't think this is a, this is not going to be a good conversation. I don't think you want yeah. to have it right now or something like that. Yeah. They and both, they off. both know exactly what's going on, but uh, they just, uh, they just kind of soldier on through it. Yeah, man. And without getting too personal, um, a lot of this movie mirrors what I grew up with. Mm. And um, it is, Astounding and profoundly sad and depressing what uh, what some people can accept and live with yeah. for years. Oh, it's yeah, it's terrifying actually that yeah. that, that you think. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I have that feeling a lot when I um, when you know, for instance, when I read like the lives of uh, artists and so on, mm-hmm. and so many that that go on to succeed, they have these moments where they kind of make a really forceful break with yeah. the thing that they're from or the life they're living. Maybe mm-hmm. it's a job that they quit or, you know, they take like that really big shot. But then there's so many other people mm-hmm. that don't do that, yeah. that just kind of say, oh, what if, or, oh, there's all these other reasons not to and so on. Yeah. And it's, yeah, that's that's kind of where, that's how, you know, Benjamin Hood, that's how he ends up where he is mm-hmm. by just kind of, not having the the courage of his own convictions kind of to mm-hmm. just kind of um, muddle his way through his life. Yeah. And, and to not really uh, listen to, you know, what his heart is telling him. You know, this is not right. I don't feel this anymore, whatever. Yeah. He, um, there's that moment early on when uh, they're having the dinner party mm-hmm. and um, and he's almost bragging that they're not going to couples therapy anymore and yeah. that he's like, you know, the only real big fight we've had in years was about couple therapy itself, couples therapy itself. Yeah, they're not fighting. Yeah, but it's like you should be a little bit, you they're, know. They're dead. Yeah, exactly, exactly. It's a funeral. Yeah, it's um, worse than – it's much worse than fighting. It's yeah, just kind of There's like a range when you, when you look at this uh, – these lives that some of us grew up with and some play out in a film – from an abusive relationship that you stay in yeah. all the way to just this stage play that you can yeah. manage to do for years. So sad. And so like, sad. It is sad because, like, you don't get those years back. 
And also the the really interesting thing that the movie shows us is that you know the the parents almost think that they're they're keeping up a facade. Mm-hmm. Maybe they're staying, you know, they're quote unquote staying together for the kids. Yeah. And and that's the thing is that the kids know everything. Yeah. The parents don't think the kids know, they but sure they know. Do. They don't miss a beat, you know. Yeah. When when Wendy's, you know, sitting there watching Nixon on the TV, mm-hmm. but she hears the fight happening in the kitchen. Yep. And there's shots of her and you can tell that she knows Maybe she's not hearing every word, mm-hmm. but she hears the tone of voices and it's and she just knows mom and dad are fighting. It's and, this again. Yeah. And the way like that's like one of the first things that she talks about with his with her brother when he comes home. It's yeah. like how are the parents doing? Do you think they're headed for divorce? The like, parental unit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that uh yeah. This movie really hit home for me. <laughs> and I, <laughs> that's I all mean, I'm gonna say. Yeah, I, I the I mean, I, I remember that so much, too, from from growing up. Like, my parents had a, a pretty good relationship, but— mm-hmm. There's still there fights, were, There were times when there were fights, and, and, you know, I remember, like, standing at the top of the stairs and hearing, yeah. like— And just, like, that feeling of, like, that. that's also, I think, part of growing up in a way. Yeah. Is realizing, like, oh, this isn't picture perfect. Sometimes, you know, good people can disagree, and, and there can be tension and, and so on. Um it's part of that, like you're losing that that sort of idealized childhood mm-hmm. view of the world, and you're you're coming into something much more complex and scary. Yeah, I will say this, uh, and again, I don't want to get into my history too much because it's just sad. Mm. But uh, what it does is it leaves a child feeling very unmoored. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, because those just, those rock solid figures yeah. are not so solid anymore. Not so solid. Yeah, it's it's a bad feeling. Um, I love the, uh, the Nixon stuff. Yes. And the, the character of Wendy, how she's, um, it's a time where she's developing, it's a time in America with the Equal Rights Amendment Mm -hmm. and, um, feminism, I guess, is this, which wave would this have been? Second wave, I guess. Second wave feminism in the early 70s. And, uh, her coming into her own as a woman because she's always, the one calling the shots with the boys. Yes. She's the one that's saying, I'll show you mine if you show me yours. Yeah. Or let's get into bed together. Or I'm going to take my pants down and you can look at it, but you can't touch it. And like she's setting the rules and it's sort of this little proto-feminist. She's the one railing against the establishment and Nixon and like Kevin Klein just doesn't – like what he's got on his hands is this great daughter that is going to be a – a fully realized woman. Yes. And yeah. I don't think he even realizes that. Yeah. He, um, I mean, he loves his daughter. You can tell he has a genuine affection and cares yeah. for her. But at the same time, he's a little bit eye rolly when he sees, you know. Sure. It's like, it's he's, like, like he's not really listening. No. He's like, all right, can we cut it with a, you know, presidential assassination talk or. Yeah. It's, it's again, he's playing. He's like, this is what I should say. Yeah. Yeah. Not, I don't think he ever really speaks from his heart. No. Except. In, in moments, a couple he of will. moments, he'll like, drop the the facade once in a while. But yeah. he, but then he kind of maybe because he feels exposed, he kind of puts that armor back up again, and he's back into right. like, you know robot dad. Well, mode. when he when he finally gets busted for real again, you know, we talked about it a second ago that it's not some big fight. Yeah, and he very just sadly just says, "I don't even feel good about it." Yeah, yeah. Like he's like, that, it's, that's it's the not, truth. It's of not the what matter. you think. It's not some big plot. Yeah. Because she thinks that they've coordinated this whole thing. Right. With the keys and so on. And it's not. It's not satisfying. He's just for him. like. He's just like. No. It's. It, you know. It's just. It's just a dumb thing that happened. Mm-hmm. Really. And, and. And. But that's the truth. Yeah. He doesn't have a, a relationship with with Sigourney Weaver's character. But it's funny because he, <laughs> Ang Lee makes this observation on the commentary that 
you know, the the kind of stereotypical midlife crisis, Mm -hmm. a guy like Benjamin Hood might date a much younger woman, for instance. In this case, he's dating like someone around his age from the neighborhood that has kids. It's convenient. Yeah, exactly. It's the convenience is is the, the biggest thing. But when they are in bed, he's actually – he starts talking about like the guy at his work that's taking private golf lessons and so on. It's that dopey thing. He's so unaware. But he's he's kind of – he's slipping into that almost like marriage-like territory where oh, he's yeah. like unloading about his day-to-day boring shit. And she's just like, she I've, great you're boring line. me. I've got a husband. <laughs> I don't particularly need another. You yeah, know? it's such a great so line. So it's, it's interesting that he is almost trying to connect in a way, in his dopey way. He's trying to make a connection. Yeah. It happens all over this film. Yeah. Uh, ham-fistedly, uh, unsuccessfully, almost always, yeah. people are trying to make connections. Yeah. Joan Allen, I mean, what a what a role and what yeah. an acting job she does. Yes, you know, she is in a loveless marriage. Mm-hmm. She's going through the motions of this stage play that she lives every day. Yeah, and that moment when she sees Wendy on the bicycle. I know. Is <sighs> it's almost like dreamlike or something. It's yeah. kind of there. You know, it, she's seeing this like. It's like she's time traveling, you know, back to when she was that young and that free and everything. And she and, immediately, she just can't help herself. She yeah. says, I haven't been on a bike in years. Yeah. It's like instinct took over and she right. just had to say that out loud. Yeah. And uh, her going to shoplift, you know, yeah, the drugstore. There, there's so many moments like that bike scene that are so small but so impactful. Yeah. And this movie, like m- more than many movies I've seen, do a lot with a little. Yeah, the the minimalist kind of approach is so important. The the restraint, mm-hmm. the fact that these these moments are just allowed to to unfold, you know, without commentary, without kind of emphasis, even mm-hmm. that that we're in a way because reading the first the first chapter of the book again, you you have it's basically it's the scene where where Benjamin Hood is in the guest room at the Carvers, he's waiting for Sigourney Weaver to come back. <laughs> And, Which is hysterical yeah. because, again, he's so dopey and unaware. Yeah, She ain't coming back. Right. Everyone in the theater knows yeah. she's not coming yeah. back. And he's like, well, I guess she just stepped out yeah. for a minute. Yeah, in the In the book, you know, you're, you're, you're sort of inside the perspective of his mind, his yeah. thoughts and so on. And, um, and so you're, you're getting these, these little vignettes from all throughout his life. Mm-hmm. And he's thinking back. In the book, he's had a previous affair with somebody from, like, the office Christmas party. Mm-hmm. Where they had really bad sex in a car one time. Uh-huh. I think that's probably the model for uh, for the bad sex in the car. Yeah, um, I, I believe they kind of transposed that a mm-hmm. little bit. But it's a it, great device. Yeah, but but I think um, it, it's so interesting because the novel is so interior facing in terms of you're just in somebody's thoughts in a stream of conscious the way they're thinking, mm-hmm. and it's 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 something that is would be nearly impossible to adapt. You would think. Mm-hmm. And and the way that it's adapted here is so different because the film is much more about surfaces mm-hmm. and about being being somewhat distant and outside the thing, right. but being able to see enough inside to know what's happening. Mm-hmm. But it's it's sort of like the tip of the iceberg that we're seeing, right. you know. And there's so much submerged beneath that we right. don't see that we only can kind of intuit from what we are seeing. It is in the book, it, but it is in the book. Right. It's, it's it's kind of him just feeling like. I'm 39. I'm losing my hair. Like, um, yeah, but you get all. I'm, of that. I'm in this marriage. We haven't had sex in in two years. Right. And, um, just it, it, he's thinking about you know when when he first met his wife back in college, and even then he he kind of it, it's so sad because they, they meet at like a college party. He's really drunk. Uh-huh. He starts talking to her, and it's almost like he he wants to stop talking, 
But through like social awkwardness or pressure or something, he just continues. Yeah. And that's almost how their relationship starts was his almost like uh, inability to to act or to do something. Uh He just kind of like – sleepwalks his way through his entire life yeah. you know he just bumbles into this marriage and kids yeah. and the job and everything else is just kind of he's he, he's not somebody that's acting with any kind of uh intention he's just kind yeah. of oh i guess this is what i'm supposed to do right you know? no intention no awareness yeah it's really interesting yeah. um the, the, speaking of subtle moments and the fact that ang lee just plays it all so like real is the moment early on at the dinner party when the wine is spilled oh yeah on Kevin Klein's lap, and Cleaning there's up just the yeah, there's that really quick thing where Sigourney Weaver is the one that jumps up, yeah, to to dab his his pants, his crotch. pants, yeah, yeah, and it didn't even have to be the crotch, um, just kind of down down somewhere low, and and, and yeah, and Joan Allen, she yeah, she has that moment where she sees it, where yeah. she sees like they're a little they're a little familiar, they're a little comfortable, yeah, yeah, but I get the feeling that she already knew, oh yeah, and this was just further confirmation, right? right? Yeah, I think okay. so too. That's what I thought. That's definitely not the first sign of trouble. I love that scene also. A little bit later on when um, uh, Kevin Klein leans in to kiss Joan Allen, tell her he's going to go to bed early, mm-hmm. and she notices his aftershave is different, yeah, and he a, tries to play it off. He's right. like, oh, yeah, it's, it, it is a new aftershave. The I think musk. it's called musk. <laughs> and uh, and he just kind of like wanders off, you know? Yeah. And her, if you just like really sit on her reaction, which the you know the camera does, sits on her reaction and just – if you just look at the subtle changes in her face, like uh-huh. you can see everything that she understands completely that – Everything that's going on, mm-hmm. but she's like balancing her checkbook and she just tears out a new check and kind of like shoves it all down and just moves on, you know? Yeah, because the bills still have to get paid yeah. and the dishwasher still has to get loaded. Right, right. And that's like that brutal thing that, you know, life has to go on. Yeah, yeah. In the face of this just void yeah, that just you're living unbearable, in. Unbearable, you know, when it, when it kind of, uh, you know, uh, when the void kind of exposes itself in that way, yeah, we, like you, we become aware of it. As a, as an audience member, you 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 so want someone, you maybe because you're conditioned in films to see this, but you so want her to smash the plate exactly and to start screaming at him. Yeah, and that's not the reality of it, though, man. No, like this is how it goes a lot of times. It's the lives of a quiet desperation, you know. Yeah. yeah. Um. So Elijah Wood's character, Mikey. Um, seeing it again as an older person, I was like, does he have a diagnosis? I think um, – Because when I was – before, yeah. I was just like, oh, he's just a, the, the weird kid. Yeah. But like Sigourney Weaver even has that uh, – Well, the, the, Mikey's been out of it since he was born. Yeah, the father says uh, – I guess he kind of takes after his dad, you know? Yeah, but it's also light. And I think he, I think it might be like maybe Asperger's exactly, or something. Yeah, yeah. I, I could definitely see that. Which you would play it in 1973 for like – just a quirky kid. Yeah. He's out of it. Nobody half knew the time. back then. Yeah. So to look for those signs or to kind of recognize um, that football moment on the field yeah. where he just like totally zones out. Yeah. He zones out yeah. and the ball falls. And, um, but then, you know, and, and perhaps it is Asperger's because he's very smart yeah. and very into uh, the idea of, of uh, geometry when he's explaining. And that's one of my favorite scenes, actually, yeah. when he's explaining to Sandy. Why he loves geometry and math and about space. Cubes and – And he's trying yeah. to make a connection. Yeah. And what is Sandy's response is – I just need to do my homework. Yeah, I just needed help with my math. Yeah. Like it's such a like real moment between – it's like exactly how it would go down. Yeah, yeah. I think um, I think it, it, it's very telling that he is interested in, in geometry 
because it's this kind of abstract thing that's not yeah. really related. I mean, it is related to the material world, but it's also not because uh-huh. it's kind of there's perfection in geometry and there's no perfection in the world, you right. know. And um, you know, I mean, he he says as much. He's like, you know, you you can't really have like a perfect shape or a perfect cube mm-hmm. in you know in terms of space in in reality, but but you can in your mind. And so he's he's interested in this kind of other world where, you know, mathematics is, is kind of a it's like a self-contained perfect system. Like mm-hmm. everything adds up and, and everything. There's there's no like ambiguity per se. I mean, right. obviously, once you get higher into like theoretical stuff. Yeah, but, then yes, it, but math is about proofs. Exactly. Yeah. And, and life is all about gray zone and, you right. know, uh, ambivalence. So, um, yeah, it, it, it's very interesting that, that he has this kind of um, – it's almost like he's 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 looking for something. He's finding maybe that that yeah. sense of security or or, or stable stability, mm-hmm. permanence um, in in this kind of you know mathematic form. But yeah. but it's ultimately um, you know it, it can't be reconciled with with reality. Yeah, and he kind of pays like the ultimate price for that. Yeah, and in that scene, uh, I felt. So much empathy for both of those boys trying to trying to connect, but I felt bad for yeah. Mikey because he's uh, he's not able to connect with his brother on this thing that's important to him, and yeah. I felt bad for Sandy because he's just this kid; he doesn't know what he's talking about. Yeah, yeah. He's talking about this abstract time and space and geometry, yeah. and Sandy just wants help with his math. They're just a few too many years apart yeah. you know, at that point to to make that connection, and then of course the dad comes home right in the middle, you know, immediately following that. Oh God, that brutal and line! That horrible. Like, remember the line from uh, Mikey? He he's like you a, were gone. You know, yeah, you yeah, were gone. Yeah, I'm back, fellas. You were gone. And then he just kind of laughs. He's like, "Yeah, yeah." You know, and, it's and got a sting though, man. He talks about you know semiconductors and silicon and trying to make a connection. And then again, can't do it. Just zero interest on on the part of the kids because it's pretty boring to a kid, I'm sure. Yeah, and um, just an awkward silence and like, well, see you later. You know, right. it's just oh, god damn, this movie is. Fucking devastating. It is brutal. Yeah. Uh, the the clandestine love between Wendy and Mikey is so sweet. Um, and I, you know, I remember those those early days. Like, you know, they when they they met in the empty the pool pool yeah. to like kiss each other and make it's out. Funny because it's not even really romantic what they're doing. It it's, feels like they're trying to learn. They're stuff. experimenting. Yeah. yeah. They're they're just sort of like. You're curious. I'm curious. Let's try this and, and uh-huh. see what this is. That's because exactly what it, it is. It seems like adults are doing this, and uh-huh. it seems like something that older people care about a lot. And, yeah, you know, it's in movies and so on. So let's let's see what this is all about. I but, was too scared to do that stuff, Casey. Yeah, I was yeah, very I was much too. A late bloomer. Oh yeah, same. So it was, you know, but it, it, there's almost something mechanical about the way they're going about it. The way they're very kind much. of like uh-huh. making out. Um, and then the way the camera kind of booms up and cranes and uh-huh. and and you it's a great shot yeah the 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 leaves on the you know the the bottom of the swimming pool yeah. and um the, the again the sense of isolation the uh-huh. fact that it's an empty pool yeah and and all that just kind of hammers home that again these are people looking for connection mm-hmm. and I mean so much of 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 what the movie's about is you know on one level it's about sex but. On a deeper level, it's about people using sex mm-hmm. to try to connect and, mm-hmm. and, and sort of not getting that result from it. You mm-hmm. know, instead just kind of having it these sort of over and over empty and over. experiences that, that don't really ultimately achieve any kind of yeah. true connection. Or, yeah. Well, I mean, Paul, you know, eventually when they get to the parallel stories of Paul yeah. in, in the city yeah. uh, trying to connect with Libets. Yeah. Libets. Libets. <laughs> kind of the name is Libets. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, the same thing, misconnections. Yeah. Oh yeah, the, that that 
that painful, painful moment where, you know, he's, he's trying to, he's saying like, I feel a real connection to you. And she's like, I do too. And yeah. then oh, he God. can say it before she says it, you know, she's like, like a, like a, like a brother, you know, brother. And he's like, yeah, you're not alone in that opinion. Oh God. It's just the worst. And then one of the, my favorite lines in the movie and a really clever line is when he goes, you want to take a bath together? Yeah. I love that. I love that. He almost kind of pulls it off there. Almost. Yeah. It was yeah. very funny. Yeah. Um, before we get into more of the the movie itself, let's talk about the score. Oh yes, Michael Dana. Who is it? Michael Dana, who who works a lot with Adam McGowan. Oh, okay. Uh, you know, Canadian filmmaker. Yeah. And did he um, do like the Sweet Hereafter by chance? Yes. Yeah. Which is a beautiful score. Yeah. And also a, a, a equally crushing film, mm-hmm. if not more even. Yeah. Another um, was that a wintertime film? Yes. Too, I think? Oh yeah, because yeah, it's a school bus and you yeah. Know, that. It sort of sort of reminds me of this two different movies for sure. But no, but but it could be a good double feature. Yeah. If you just want to be insanely <laughs> depressed. <laughs> if you want to wreck yourself. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Michael Dana, he's worked with uh, also like Terry Gilliam, mm-hmm. um, Mira Nair, um He's he's but but Adam McGoyan, like he he works with him over and over and over. What is that? Agoyan still doing stuff? He is. Yeah, really? he's kind of. Um, he used to be one of my favorites, man. Yeah. And I kind of lost track. He, I mean, he has a film every every couple years. Really? Yeah, but but he's kind of like. I, I haven't seen one. Recently. They're more low profile, right? Yeah, they're I'm, much I'm more not... low profile. Um, I think you know they they play festivals, but they don't really play like the the first run of like art house, Cannes, Venice, uh-huh. Toronto, etc. They're kind of like second. That's a shame. Yeah, it's I you know, but I really need to catch up because he he is somebody that um, you know, even even pre-sweet hereafter, he has a whole like 80s oh, yeah. 90s like, you know, very very kind of um bold strong stuff. Yeah. And uh, I I I'm sure he's kept at it. So What was the one about the missing girl? Mm. Is that Exotica? I don't know. Yes. Yeah, okay. Exotica. That's the only one I've seen. And but um uh it's been a really long time. I barely remember that movie other than like the strip club mm-hmm. and Elias Kateas and Yeah, who was one of his guys yeah, that yeah. he would go back to. Uh but yeah, the score in this movie is just so great. Um I mean there's sort of some lush string stuff, mm-hmm. but what really stands out to me is that I don't even know what instrument that is. It's called gamelan. I mean, it's not the name of the instrument, but the genre of music, the the drums, the kind of percussion cu- percussion. Yeah, and there's some there's some wind instrument. Yeah, well, that's that's a Native American flute. Okay, is um, it a flute? Yeah, being being played by like a you know somebody who, who practices that tradition. Yeah, Native American guy. Um, Boy, it really fits. Oh yeah, it's got it's got a real like soulfulness to it. Uh-huh. I mean, it's kind of like, in a way, it's like the most the movie exposes that kind of yeah emotion. You know, it's stark and it's sad, and it and uh, it just somehow fits that. There's like, like a longing to it. Forest of. Uh, and maybe that's part of it, you know, Native American with the with the forest and the tree setting. Oh and yeah, the natural settings. Well, it's like you know what Wendy says at Thanksgiving, you know, and what what even Thanksgiving is about. Yeah. Or versus what we think it's about versus what the reality was, and, and uh-huh. so on and so forth. That seems great. So um, yeah, in a way, it's 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 not something that the film hammers home, but there is that that slight subtext of like these people are living. You know the the American experiment has been around for a couple. Well, it's, they're coming up on the bicentennial. Yeah, they're three years out. And um, you know, two hundred years of this country and everything that 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 transpired for this country, mm-hmm. America, to be here. Um, yeah, and, and the way that that Wendy brings it up at Thanksgiving, and so they're just great. like, all right, all right, all right. Yeah. You know, never mind. Pass the turkey or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Give me the great Paul. Would you like a roll? <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it's amazing but, how quickly they're all able to brush. And go back to the stage play exactly. that they're living. Exactly. 
it's like, come on, don't, don't, don't make this any harder than it is. You know? Right. Let's just get through this. Because this is supposed to be the easy Thanksgiving. Yeah. Because even says grandma's not. Yeah. Even though we miss her. Right. I love that. Yeah. It's uh-huh. like, you know, of course, of course, we still miss her, but you know, because he feels like he needs to say yeah. that again. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Christina Ricci is so good in this movie. It was amazing. Like yeah. I've I've been a fan of hers her whole career. Off and on, things she's made have been really good, but like I don't know if she got her due as an actor. No, really, she didn't. Um, I mean, I love Buffalo '66. Yeah, that's that's another one I could do for the show. Um, but she is so good her, in her this performance movie. In, in that one, and yeah, she she just um, I, I don't know what it is about her. She has such a a, a compelling kind of presence on, uh-huh. on screen. Her her face can do so much, you know, can emote so well. Yeah. And she has this intensity. And um and I mean she it's so good to play kind of like the smarter beyond her years kind of mm-hmm. teenager character. Mm-hmm. Um she she's just um I think she was maybe sixteen when they were filming this and she's playing like maybe fourteen or so. Yeah. Um and I, you know it it's completely believable. Um but um yeah, she's she's certainly one of the highlights of the film. Yeah, the the, the scene, you know, we mentioned it before when uh, he carries her home. Like how she can kind of go from, you know, playing at adult burgeoning sexuality yeah, to, to like she's reverting a, she's back a five-year-old to childhood. All of a yeah. sudden, she wraps her legs around him. Yeah. And uh the reverse of that they they do that great reverse on the, on both her faces yeah. when their necks are cradled into one another. Yeah. And it's just like fucking heartbreaking. Oh yeah. Cuz yeah. I, I mean, you know, I hope you have kids one day. There, there's the constant – from the second they're born, you immediately start fearing them going away. Right. Yeah, the, that push-pull between like wanting to see them flourish and astoundingly become – Astoundingly fast. A grown-up and at the same time saying, yeah. no, wait, come back. You know? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's amazing how fast it sets in of, oh, no, you're going to leave me one day. Yeah, yeah. Ugh, God. Can't even go there, Casey. <laughs> Jesus Christ, be a weepy mess on this fucking show. <laughs> but start, that scene start to is... think of uh, that Beatles song, "She's Leaving Home" or something. You yeah, know? Oh, stop it. What are you trying to do to me here? <laughs> <laughs> um, but you know, they're able to, in that brief moment to make that connection. Um, I feel like Joan Allen never gets to make that connection. Uh, well, she with Wendy. At Wendy least. tries to connect with her mom. There's that scene um, where she says to her mom, "They're in the kitchen," and she goes, "Mom, are you all right?" Yeah. And she goes, no, it's fine, you know. And- well, however, though, in that scene, um, she's trying to explain to Wendy the feeling that she got when she saw her on the bike. Yes. And she's saying this deep thing. Yeah. She, that's her that's ge- true. And Wendy's her not geometry really conversation. That. Yeah, that's true. And Wendy's just sort of like, are you all right? Yeah. Like there's yeah. no like, oh, man, mom, that must have felt really special. Yeah, they like, are they just, are kind of missing each other. They're both trying to connect and it's everyone just not is happening. missing each other through this whole fucking movie. It's so frustrating. But that that line that she has, Mom, are you all right? There's yeah. this concept that they talk about on the commentary of, you know, children raising their parents. Yeah. You know, of of Especially back then. Yeah. Of of you know, this this like you said, the the, the parents are kind of playing at being children and the uh-huh. children are playing at being adults. And this generation, you know, um kind of fell weirdly in between mm-hmm. like there it's not fully the 70s yet it's not the 60s anymore mm-hmm. they're just kind of like they're stranded in the middle yeah. sort of and and it seems like they have um they're going to they're going to revert or not revert but they're going to go towards a more they're going to want more stability yeah you know, they're going to grow up to be maybe more 
like traditional sort of parents, let's mm-hmm. say, a little more strict, a little bit more like um, watchful of their kids, let's say, mm-hmm. because their their childhoods are coming out of this like permissiveness and indifference almost. Yeah, and, indifference. Yeah, and so they're going to kind of – the pendulum is going to swing in the other direction for them. Yeah, and it, this is sort of, whew, again, something that I, I can uh, relate to. And I think it was sort of of the time is that parents can be so consumed with their own yeah. shit yeah. back then especially. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it's probably swung too far in the other direction now. but uh, Whole helicopter thing. Yeah, yeah. but the, 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 these kids are sort of on their own. Yeah, I mean I think that was – Th- that's coming from – it's sort of like the, the zeitgeist at that moment. Yeah. There's all the new agey stuff, the self-help, the kind of like, you know, quote-unquote spirituality that's not necessarily religious per se. But Especially for the women of that era because yeah. they're coming out of the 50s and 60s right, where right. women were truly, you know, yeah. subjective to their husbands. Yeah. And the early 70s and I think probably late 60s was when some of that first started. Some of these that, – that's when – all those books, and there's that great shot of when she's looking at the table. Yeah, when there were so many books. Yeah, for women to like reclaim your life, right? Basically. Right, reclaim your life, be and a whole person, exactly, and 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 sort of um, give give proper attention to all these things that you've put aside mm-hmm. for all these years at the at the behest of your husband or at the behest of your children or whatever. Yeah. So it's it's this kind of thing where they they are. They are trying to grow as people. They're trying to become more fully rounded mm-hmm. adults and so on. Equal. Full, yeah, equal and, and just have, have like a full, rich life, mm-hmm. not just a life of like servitude. That's right. And um, but, but at the same time, there is like this, you know, maybe the pendulum going too far in terms of the parents. Like, uh, you know, when Wendy mentions in passing that she's like in band uh-huh. and both – you know, her her mom is just sort of like, oh, I thought you weren't in band anymore. Yeah, she's like, well, you know, um, they don't even know. They don't. They, it's not a big deal, and yeah. you know, I only play a few notes anyway. Like, right. because she doesn't hear rehearsing, practicing anymore. Uh-huh. But it's because she just plays like the same three notes over and over. Yeah, and um, yeah, just just that sense that uh, that it would be unthinkable today, certainly yeah. for for most parents to not know um. What what kind of extracurriculars oh our kids are involved God. in? And, it's you know, unthinkable. It's, yeah. So, yeah. But I, at the same time, um, I think I, I I do know that there are there are people from that generation that are certainly nostalgic for mm-hmm. that that style of childhood. That kind of there was a recent uh, um, kind of uh, article or, or, or trend about this, like the the idea of like free range parenting. Yeah, yeah. We and, did an episode on that. So okay, yeah, know. yeah. So it's the idea that, for instance, you know. Uh, a kid that's maybe no older than like 10 to 12 or something could like live in New York City, take the subway, yeah. go to like, you know, some CD theater and like watch yeah. like an R-rated movie. Or that you would let your 10-year-old walk to the playground in yeah. your neighborhood by sure, themselves. Sure. Yeah. So just – and the fact that, um, you know, they're, they're, we're way pre-cell phone. There's, mm-hmm. there's, there's, there's not this constant line of communication that can be opened up between the parent and child. Mm-hmm. So it's like – um, you know, in that scene where uh, Kevin Klein is is leaving the house to go pick up uh, Paul at mm-hmm. the at, and he says, you know, he says to Wendy, uh, "What have you been doing?" She goes, "Nothing." You know, yeah. typical teenager answer. Yeah, but um, it's like they just they don't know, they don't want to know necessarily. I mean, they they make the effort in a way, at least sort of. They they, they kind play of play at it. Yeah, they play at it. Um, but they just don't know what's going on in their kids' lives, really. Yeah. Oh well, and when he does pick him up in the car. You know, on the way home, that that conversation oh, between Paul and talk, Ben. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, and at first though, it's just no. 
yes, yeah. no. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, well, it's probably a good time. To have the that talk, yeah. self uh, what is it? Self abuse, self abuse, self abuse yeah. front. Yes. Oh man. <laughs> and again, it's just no, there's no connections being made. But it's a funny it's a funny button on that scene where they pull into the driveway. He's like, Paul, could you do me a favor and pretend I never said any of that to you? And he's like, yeah. Sure, and and you get the you know, it's not like it's a movie you can look at and say like they don't have a good relationship. No. Paul and yeah. Ben. Yeah. Uh, it's not that. It's just they just don't have much of anything. Yeah, you know, yeah. which is maybe the saddest thing of all. Absolutely, they're just kind of yeah. They're 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 two strangers basically. You you would think they were acquaintances or something yeah. rather than like you know father and son. Yeah, and they you know they they don't have many funny moments. There are a couple of uh, like the waterbed. Yeah, uh, they play that for laughs a little. Oh bit. yeah, oh yeah. But aside from that, they kind of just play the seventies fairly straight. Yeah, it's it's certainly not like going over the top with like. Just the kind of cliches that we associate with that period. Yeah, it's not. Yeah, it, it's not a cartoon version of the seventies. No, not at all. It's it's a very lived in. There are mm-hmm. still some of those familiar signposts. I think we see a lava lamp in somebody's room at some point. Yeah, but it's like it's not like you know right. uh, underlined or it's anything. It's not that seventies show. Yeah, yeah, exactly. What is your take on the? Um, let's talk about the preacher for a minute. Sure. Who uh, I didn't look up that actor. Yeah, I didn't either. Uh, I don't He's know very that good. I've ever seen him, but he was really good at yeah, this. Yeah, you know the sort of long haired, you know, that's a wig pro- too. Progressive. They they when they're tell. when they're when they're talking in the um when when she's at that table of books. Yeah. Um, there's a you know it's kind of a windy day. Yeah. And so like the wind kind of blows his hair back, and um, Ang Lee is talking about he he just like during the scene he kind of reaches up and brushes his hair back behind his ear, <laughs> which. To, to Ang Lee anyway was like a great performance choice because it kind of shows that he's like this – he's had this – has this kind of vanity to him. Yeah, right. Um, that he's he's kind of like posing, you know. Right. He's, he's, he's sort of uh, aware of, 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 of how he's coming off and he has this kind of cockiness to him. Yeah. Even though he's trying to also present himself as like the enlightened one. Yeah, I thought that was a really very, interesting – very full of himself. Yeah, I thought like just having him in the film at all was – an interesting choice, and and there was more of him. Oh, there was, was there apparently a in the, scene. In the film, or? yeah, yeah, uh-huh. in the film. Apparently, there was another scene between um, between him and Elena, where they're mm-hmm. like in a cafe and they're talking. And um, you know, from from their description, it, it you know it was a good scene, but it just kind of the tone maybe deviated a little too much from the film. They talked a lot about on the commentary about how there were there were sort of numerous scenes and moments that on their own are really great and funny, mm-hmm. but it just, you know, in, in their words, it kind of made the ending too unbearable right? to to, to vacillate from these moments of levity mm-hmm. and then still end so darkly. Um, I thought they really nailed the tone. Yeah. What, it's, whatever it's they ended up with was, was kind of perfect. Yeah. Yeah. It, it stays pretty well in that, in that mood. And, um, but yeah, the, the the preacher character he's seeking a connection too. It's oh just, yeah, it's all over this movie. Oh yeah, he um he he feels probably as lost as or maybe more. I mean, the, yeah. the, the people that he's 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 so so uh, desperate to to kind of connect or to to, mm-hmm. to find something that's meaningful to him that he's kind of oriented his whole life towards that. You yeah. know, towards this kind of life of being a new agey spiritual right. guru, whatever you want to call it. You know. Yeah, and in the end, he's. Uh, it's such a great payoff for that character. He ends up at the key party, yeah. which we'll get to in just a second. Sure. Um, and ends up shamed into leaving. Yeah. Uh, but, he, you know, that line when he says, even the shepherd needs the company of the flock from time to time or whatever. Yeah. And boy, she just eviscerates him. 
She's like, I'm going to try very hard not oh, to understand God. the implication of that statement. Fuck, dude. Just like, like, I didn't see that coming. Yeah. I remember the first time I saw that, I thought she would have understood maybe. Yeah. Because she's in a similar place. Right. Where she needs a connection. And she has uh, gone without sex. Right. Clearly in her own marriage. Yeah. Um, although they do do it. it yeah, that is true. There's um, there's the the first scene where uh, Kevin Klein tries to initiate. Mm-hmm. He has that great performance where his hand kind of reaches over her in bed, and she goes, "Ben." Yeah, yeah. And he just pulls it back, and his hand kind of trembles, and he yep. just you know rolls back over and goes to sleep. But they do make love. Yeah, but they do well. It's implied at least. But they do it. They do it at a moment where they're about to say something. Yeah. And and she actually says to him like. Been maybe you know talking right now, mm-hmm. and then they almost have sex as a way of diffusing yeah. whatever was about to transpire between Absolutely. them. So yeah, you know the it's it's not really. I mean, they are they're making a sort of connection, but they're not not really. Though. They're using it to you know to 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 stave off like whatever big blow up is gonna. Yes, you, know, yeah. you, you definitely get the picture that afterward it wasn't like oh my god we are, we've reconnected again yeah, yeah. and uh, we're on the right track. But I love that <laughs> moment when when Wendy's coming up the stairs. You know, her, her dad's come down the stairs and he's kind of doing up the last button on his. Yeah. And, um, and then she sees the must up bed. Yeah, exactly. And and there's there's no spoken words or anything. But uh-huh. again, it's one of those moments where, um, you know, you, you realize like, oh, my parents do kind of have like a sexual relationship. Right. And that's weird and uncomfortable. Yeah. And, you know, all that all those <laughs> conflicted feelings you have. Well, speaking of weird and uncomfortable, nice transition into the bathroom scene with Sandy and Wendy. Oh, yes. It's just like, has there ever been a more real yeah, brutal depiction of like young adolescent hormonal yeah like confusion exactly not not knowing I mean he he says to her he's like what do you want what do you want you know well because he's neither, neither one of them yeah. knows what they want really God and his little hands are trembling I just yeah. felt like I wanted to yank him out of there and just give him a hug I know it was so brutal to see this kid so scared yeah um and then that's when you get the great exchange with Sigourney Weaver <laughs> yes <afterwards>. yes <laughs> but yeah the just like the 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 look on both of their faces. I don't know how they got that performance out of that kid. Man, you know, he was but, good. Yeah, little man Tate. Because because they have to. Um, That's who that was. Yeah, yeah. Because I, I think. Um, I mean, this is, this is a common thing in, in, in movies that have, like, really adult themes but mm-hmm. have to involve, like, very young actors. Right. Oftentimes there will be, like, a parallel scene that mm-hmm. the kid thinks they're playing that is, you know, that diverges wildly from right. the real substance of the thing. Yeah. I know like in particular like in The Shining, Danny, you know, he in a lot of those scenes he was kind of enacting mm-hmm. a different scenario than Yeah, cuz well, you you just need a reaction that's yeah, believable. Exactly. Yeah, I always wonder in movies like this like at the premiere when these kids like when that little kid goes to the premiere, it's like, yeah. what does he think of the ice storm? Well, it's like, can he even watch it? You know, does well, he have to wait until he's older? Yeah, yeah, sometimes they can't. Yeah. Um, or does he have to see like a, a, you know, just a highlight reel or something? Right. Like, these are the scenes of yours that are okay. Yeah. Although, I mean, there's nothing overtly. I mean, there's the bad sex scene in the car. Yeah. And there's some, but there's not, there's no explicit sex going no, on. No, there's like no, no real like nudity or anything. Um, there's just kind of people fumbling around, but a kid certainly wouldn't understand this. Yeah, movie. yeah, yeah, like yeah. Way above. It might be. It might be kind of like lost on. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, again, to the relationship with uh, with the siblings, uh, with Wendy and and Paul, it's just like when they they call each other Charles. Charles, yeah. And that's such a nice little touch. Yes. You know this little thing that they have together, and uh, I have siblings, and uh, again with my upbringing like there's a, de- a there's a definite connection that happens with siblings when you grow up in a house with parents that are not 
yeah. uh, in love. You're 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 more bonded. It's sort of like yeah. There's a thing yeah that happens, and then uh, the the saddest thing ever. And of course, this movie can't cover it. Well, it sort of does because he's gone to prep school. Mm-hmm. Is Especially when you're the youngest. When one ages out. Yeah, and my sister gone. aged out. Yeah. And then it was me and my brother. Yeah. And he aged out and oh, went to man. college. And then it was yeah. just me. Yeah. And my worst years were after my brother left. Yeah. And that's yeah. no coincidence. Sure. You know? Sure. Yeah. Wendy, Wendy has that feeling. It's almost like um, uh, there's there's like a moment um, where uh, Paul has left to go to the, you know, to go to Manhattan to go to the party. Mm-hmm. And and now it's just Wendy and the two parents, and yeah. they don't even talk. Mm-hmm. And she gets up from the table without asking to be excused or anything. She just you know walks off into the kitchen, oh, yeah. kind of vaguely pissed off, looking. Yeah, grabs like a snack from the fridge, uh-huh. and then just like walks past That's again. A great zero interaction, acknowledgement, nothing. Nothing. And um, yeah, you have that. You really have that sense that she feels like stranded. Yeah. And that she's just waiting, counting down the days till she can get out. Yeah, yeah, and there's not a lot of use of popular music in this film, but there's a couple of key ones. Yeah. Um, the Manhattan scene when uh, Leave On by Elton John plays. Yes, yes. And then in the scene we were just talking about with when when Paul first gets home, yeah. uh, Jim Croce's I've Got a Name yeah. is in the background. <laughs> yeah. And they have that great moment at the end of the scene. After they've said everything, the record skips. Yeah. And he goes, Charles, is that my record? You've been touching my shit. You've been touching my shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that. <laughs> but it's not adversarial. No, it's like no. very loving. He's just like, I knew you were coming in my room because yeah. <laughs> it's fine. You know, it's it's there really. Uh it's it's her way of, you know, kind of kind of connecting with her brother, being around her brother when yeah. he's not there in a way. Yeah, he's, yeah. His, he still has his things there. Um I also thought it was interesting too how the uh when um Kind of one of the next things is when Kevin Klein busts the kids, and we've already talked about the walk home and all that. Right, right. But when he gets home, he's just like he's got his chest puffed out, brushing his teeth, uh, telling uh, telling his wife about it. That's a and great like, shot. Well, too. here's what happened. Yeah, and I took care of it. Yeah, and he doesn't realize that he's fucking busting himself. Yeah, yeah. Because the whole time, he's so oblivious. She's going, "Why the fuck were you at their yeah. house?" You and know, she finally what were you doing says there? in the end, yeah. "What were you doing in their basement?" Yeah. Oh, uh, you know. That cup, the mug, the the mug, yeah. the coffee mug, yeah. And he's just so oblivious. That that's a, a really really uh, interesting shot. The way it's framed, because yeah. in the middle of the shot, you have like a, a you know door frame looking into the bathroom. The camera's in the bedroom. They have like a, a you know floor to ceiling mirror mm-hmm. on the right side of the door frame, and that's where you see Joan Allen in that reflection. Mm-hmm. But it's very interesting because you're seeing both of their faces, and they're looking at each other. Yeah, and you know they're on opposite. Planes, but mm-hmm. most of the scene plays out with her in that reflection. It's mm-hmm. not until later on that she steps in where you can see her shoulder. Yeah, you know, uh, the camera's kind of going over her shoulder a little bit. Um, just, just showing. I mean, there's so many um, places in the film where mm-hmm. he plays with, you know, uh, people being separated and, and, and kind of yeah. left alone in the frame or disconnected somehow. Or um, there, there's so much like glass, you know, and, yeah. and, and kind of. Uh, these these surfaces that are like transparent but do mm-hmm. separate and 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 are not really uh like um broken through yeah it's it's preventing the connection yeah yeah um the uh it, it is a very quietly sort of beautiful film cinematography uh wise because it's not flashy at all no and they don't even have you know even a movie that's not flashy can have like these beautiful sunsets or right, something right 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 like there's really none of that no but there's a lot going on there's there's like it's a very thoughtful. I think there's there's like 
a handful of shots that that I consciously notice mm-hmm. in the film. Like one would be that crane coming up, yeah. you know, when they're kissing. Another one that's probably my favorite shot of the film is where uh, Elijah Wood is wearing that red mm-hmm. um, coat, whatever yeah. you want to call it. Um, and he he goes to leave the house, mm-hmm. and there's a shot from inside the house um, focused on a window with raindrops, and you just oh, see this dude. red blob move in the background. It's the frozen window. Yeah, 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 man. Yeah, I love that shot. And but that there's really not there's out. not too many shots like that in the film. It's it's no. very very sparingly used. Yeah. It's not a film where. I'm thinking from scene to scene, man, this is so well shot. Or yeah. like, that's it such an inventive be framing. You can tell, but when you when you force yourself to kind of look mm. at it in that way, you do realize there's a whole lot going on on that level as well. Yeah. It just works so well that you don't even consciously notice it. Yeah, and those it's that window is starting to freeze. It's that yeah. moment where, and and this is the moment where we are in the film is that great um, part where the the weather lady talks about the impending storm. Yeah. And it's all very, you know, obviously metaphorical. Right. But that really just sets up that whole last part of the movie. Paul sets off for New York. Right. Um, the weather is coming in. That brutal cold wetness yeah. and silence that, yeah. like, everyone who's ever, certainly if you've lived in the Northeast, but yeah. anyone who's ever been in like, a storm like this right. is just so evocative. And that leads right to the key party. And right before we get to the key party, I just want to, I do just want to say, the the cinematographer uh-huh. of this film, Frederick Elms, great cinematographer in his own right. He begins his career with David Lynch. He shoots Eraserhead. Oh wow! And even pre Eraserhead, which took them five years to make, mm-hmm. so that's it wasn't like a traditional film. It was like they were living in that set and you know just spending years and years of their lives to make this this film. Yeah. But even before that, he had shot one of David Lynch's very first um, short films, mm-hmm. experimental short film called uh, The Amputee. Oh wow! And and he but he goes on to shoot like Blue Velvet mm-hmm. and Wild at Heart and on and on and on. So he's also worked with like Jim Jarmusch, Todd oh, wow. Solins, and uh, Charlie Kaufman. He shot uh, oh, Synecdoche, man. New York. Really? Which is one of my all-time favorites, that film yeah, too. Yeah, that movie confounded me. Have you? Do you only see it one time? Yeah. Or? Oh, man. I need to see it again, huh? Yeah. Talk about depressing movies. Yeah, that one bears uh, repeat that, that one. That one might be the <laughs> uber-depressed movie. But anyway, he, um, he also shot a, a film called River's Edge. Oh, I love you know that film. Edge. Yeah, I love sure. that film. Kind of, kind of Lynchian in its own way. Yeah, who directed that? Tim Hunter. What else has he done? He did a, a film called Tex with um, Matt Dillon. Matt Dillon. Yeah. Okay, that was a good movie too. And um, he directed some episodes of Twin Peaks. Um, it's a lot of teen angst. Yeah, exactly. That was. I think that was kind of his wheelhouse. Yeah. And I'm not sure what he's really done. Boy, River's that. Edge was so good. But River's Edge is fantastic. Like very yeah. underrated too. Yeah. Yeah, that's a good one. Hey, I'm Joe Levy, and on the latest episode of Inside the Studio, I sat down with one of the all-time great singer-songwriters, James Taylor. We talked about his new album, where his music comes from, and how telling his life story through his songs has helped him. Music saved my life, but I was lucky also to survive. I did some very stupid, some some years that were, were just really high risk, unnecessarily so, and a lot of people around us died, you know. So join me, Joe Levy, Editor-at-Large at Billboard, for this and other in-depth conversations with the biggest artists in music. Listen on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get podcasts. So now, you know, once you get to the key party, you start cross-cutting, and um, 
and it's such a great editing job. And editing, you know, doesn't have to be flashy to be like super effective. And I think this is a great example of that. Oh yeah, of great editing is the cross cutting between the key party, the Manhattan party, and then Wendy and yeah. and Mikey and Sandy's story. Yeah. And what's going on? Yeah. And that's one of my favorite thing in movies when you have these parallel storylines. Yes. And uh, you know, I mean, you know how it is in the editing room, like how long you stay in each place is uh, can vary, and it's it's like yeah, it's not math. It's like it's gut and it's emotional. Yeah. Like when you decide to leave each place to go to the next. When you're watching it, just as a like as a viewer, you're you're not necessarily appreciating even yeah. how difficult that is mm-hmm. to find the rhythm, the right rhythm, how long to stay in these places. Because I'm sure rhythm, they man. had no shortage of great material from that party especially. Absolutely. And and how to um, how to just like focus in on what is essential and what can be cut, you know, and what's slowing mm-hmm. the movie down and so on. Mm-hmm. You know, a more indulgent filmmaker could have just let that stuff run and run and run and it all would have been very entertaining, I'm sure. sure. But at a certain point, it would have been working at cross purposes with the film itself, what it's yeah. saying. And so... Yeah, just the it, it does. It's one of those films that does feel like it's paced just right. Just right. It never has that moment really where I feel like things have slowed down or, um, or it's or it's just kind of stuck. It, it just kind of it's always progressing and um, the urgency with the storm and everything is like ratcheting up. Every yeah, but moment. it's still languid. Yeah, it yeah. manages like it's a bit of a magic trick. Yeah, yeah. This movie doesn't drag, but it's very languid. But it's still moving. It's it's like deliberate. It's uh-huh. kind of slow the way you know. Um, I mean, the the way you imagine something like freezing over gradually. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, yes, it is, it's always moving. It's always changing. Mm-hmm. And it almost takes you by surprise how far it goes and, and, yeah. and just where, where you find yourself by the end of it. Right. You know, compared to where you started out. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's interesting, too, because each of these storylines, they're all sort of mirror one another. Mm-hmm. Like there's uh, drinking and and. St- you know, uh, the the desire for physical connection at the key party, the Manhattan party, and then with uh, ultimately, you know, Sandy and Wendy end up in bed together. Well, everybody's kind of, quote unquote, experimenting, uh-huh. you know, everybody's like taking this opportunity of being kind of like frozen in together to kind of, um, you know, break beyond the normal boundaries of, of what would be acceptable behavior, let's say. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and there's something too that about the weather and the storm that like it's foreboding and you even though there's nothing in the movie that really cuz it's not like a thriller or anything at all. Right. But I remember even the first time I saw it I felt like someone's going to die. Yeah. You just had this something foreboding Something has to give sense. like some something yeah, the, all this tension yeah. that we're feeling has like something has bad, exploded like some really manner. bad is going to yeah, happen. Yeah. And when you see Mikey the first time you see this movie and you see him on that uh, frozen diving board, yeah. I, you know, everyone is thinking like, oh, shit, this is it. I cringe every time that like, scene comes up when he's jumping. Oh, and he's just, so slippy. He, he almost You're slips. Like, what are you doing? You're going to fucking die yeah, up there. Yeah, Like out in the middle of the woods. Exactly. And then when he makes it off, I remember thinking, oh, oh he made it. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> little, like little do you know what's yeah, coming, of course. Yeah. Like the worst thing of all. Yeah. Um, but l- let's talk about the key party. Yeah. Like one of the great, oh man, one of the great sequences in, in, in movies. Yeah, yeah, so good. Oh man, I, last, like, there's so much going on. When I watched it last night, I was just appreciating 
the casting of all, everybody at that party, oh, God, how so everybody perfect. is so memorable and distinctive uh-huh. and has their own little personality that they establish maybe with just a handful of lines or not even. Yeah, because you know? it's a tense, fraught situation. Yeah. Um, from Kevin Klein and, and how they play that at the beginning for, with Ben and Elena um, leaving, right, going into the car, yeah. and like they're out of there, and he's like, "Huh, so, but, but maybe we should just stay for a minute." And that's when she's appearance. like, yeah. "Fuck this!" Yeah, throws her keys to. Yep. I mean, Allison Janney. She aggressively throws the keys. Yeah, it's a great shot too. Yeah, yeah. and uh, and right down to the guy. Um, who's the guy from the Mission Impossible movies? I know who you're talking about. The the guy that's there. He's a free agent yeah, that night, and yeah. he's on his own because right. his wife's out of town. Oh yeah, and he ends up with the overweight lady, and yes. it's just kind of like, "Hey, let's do it." Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's yeah. kind of great. Yeah, he's like, "All right, that's my number." Exactly. <laughs> oh man, the 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 creepiest guy is the guy who's um. Uh, he, he points out that the one woman has brought her son. Right. And then he has that aside line uh-huh. to Kevin Klein where he says, I wish some of the fathers had brought their daughters. Yeah. And he just kind of like, you know, sure. slinks away. Yeah. And Kevin Klein's just like, I- I'm in the wrong place. Something, yeah. I've gone off track. Something e- even is wrong. for 1973, yeah. it was like, yeah. whoa. Yeah. And the guy, the, the, guy, the, the son, um, He's in one of my plays one of my favorite roles in one of my favorite movies in Flirting with Disaster. Oh yeah, he plays uh, Ronnie. Okay, it's been or uh, Donnie. It's been a long time since I've seen that. He plays um, Alan Alda and Lily Tomlin's son, who, okay, who okay. laces the quail with. Uh, oh, awesome! With LSD. I love. Oh man, that's a great movie. <laughs> oh man, that's one of my all-time favorites. Um, Emily and I, Richard Jenkins, love that just movie. Yeah. owns that movie. You can't catch the wind. It's <laughs> so good. Um, but yeah, he plays the son. Who Sigourney Weaver clearly knows his key. Right. You kind of get the sense when she pulls that thing out. That the, she, it's got that long. Yeah, it's like the whip. That yeah, she, yeah, 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 uh, exactly. She gives her son to and she, the way she kind of like twirls her finger around yeah, it. Yeah, she, so she makes perfect. like a show of the thing. Like yeah. she knows exactly what she's doing. Yeah, and she just you know gathers it in her hand and uh-huh. and he cuts to the to the kid and he's just like, all oh, yeah. right, rock and roll, let's uh-huh. go. You know. Yeah. <laughs> but you know what's so interesting, I think, and so true to this film is. She sees this younger guy. She she isn't satisfied in her marriage. She isn't satisfied with Kevin Klein's yeah, affair. Yeah. Um, and she she goes after this young boy. And what happens at the end of this is she comes home and she gets in the fetal position on that waterbed. Yeah. Yeah. And that shot is just so like, again, another great silent shot that just says so much. And I always wondered, like, what what happened between the two of them? I think she had sex that wasn't satisfying. Just, just bad, another sex bad again. connection. And she's kind of come home, and she's like, "This isn't working." You yeah, know, like nothing, nothing that I think is going to help is helping. And you didn't see that coming because throughout this whole film, she is the ice queen. Yeah, yeah. And she's untouchable and steely and, and emotionless. Right. And what you learn in that that one shot is that no, she too is in pain. She's suffering too. She just has a, 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 a you know, a stronger facade that she's putting forward yeah, to it. really discourage anybody from trying to get too close in there. Yeah. And yeah. Boy, the way she dumps him at that party is so oh, yeah. brutally cold. Well, it's like, you know, even, even when she leaves him in the bedroom earlier on yeah. um, and just, you know, drives off in her car. Uh-huh. Um, I had somewhere to be. That's when he confronts her yeah, about that. Yeah, but like, it, where but the it, fuck did you go? It's it's like I think the reason that she just so quickly detaches from him is because he's starting to you know try to establish like more of a relationship. He's mm-hmm. telling her about his kind of like quotidian nonsense. Yeah, and um, and I think I think at that point she can't really see him as just like a fun sexual thing 
anymore. It's not that anymore. He's like a person and he's kind of boring and he's kind of reminds her he's of her husband anyway. Yeah, absolutely. And so it's it's just like flipping a switch. It's just like immediately she's done. Yeah. And then he has that moment where uh, he's he's sitting next to her on the bed and he kind of kisses her neck and he's trying to, you know, initiate. Uh-huh. And, and she's just like glancing off completely unmoved, cold, yeah. you know, not feeling anything other than I wish this guy wasn't here probably. You yeah. Know? And and this was a dumb idea, and I'm over it. You know? Yeah. And then yeah, the way. Um, well, when she dumps him so unceremoniously, yeah. and he's just like, "How can you just like be this?" And he didn't even finish the sentence. Yeah. I don't think he might say, "I can't." You could just believe, yeah, that cold about it, or maybe just so dot dot dot. Yeah. And she just kind of glances out the window, and until he goes away, and then he starts drinking heavily. Yeah. And it's that great moment when um, when she does pick the key. It could have been this big thing where he's drunkenly. Makes a huge scene about right. like, wait a minute, you can't bring yeah. your kid in here, yeah. and like, this isn't how this works. Yeah. But what do they do? He stands up and just goes, no, no, yeah. and trips over the table, the glass table, yeah. And everyone like, it's just so brutal for Joan Allen, and especially because you know also, what's going on. Also, uh, Jim Carver looking on, yeah, has this real look of like he's just put the math together in his head, yeah, because he yeah. Could, he might not have known before that, I don't but he's think just he did. like, oh, I see. You He's know, the not traveling only, husband. Not He's only gone. is my wife going off with this young kid, uh-huh. but there's this other grown-up here who I'm yeah. friends with, the family, and my neighbor. There's clearly a thing going on between them as well. So he's just kind of, like he says to Joan Allen later, he's like, it's been a pretty thoroughly discouraging evening. Yeah. You know? <laughs> discouraging Boy, or disheartening, something he like that. He is, uh, he's so good. He really, like... Jamie Sheridan? Yeah, he's he's so, um, the the way he, he really shows up for that third act, you know, like, you, you, because throughout the film, he's been this kind of, like, it's unknown. a shadow, yeah. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's so, um, so distant, so mm-hmm. removed from everything that, that, um, there's there's kind of like a, a flatness to the character, yeah. and then you know when when they start to talk to each other, and he's like, you know, I don't, I'm not that confident that my keys are still in that bowl. And it seems yeah. like a bad idea to leave your keys in the bowl like that. That scene is great yeah. because that's when she she just breaks it down for him. Yeah, she says that brutal line. She's like, my husband, you know, I've been married 17 years. He's either passed out or he wishes he was, and I have no intention of going in there and right. getting him. Right. Uh, and she kind of, I mean, she says like, let's just spend some time together. Yeah. And that's when he's like, fuck it. Yeah. Like, let's go for a drive, yeah. which is in this weather. You right. Know, <laughs> Bad a, idea. Not a good idea. Yeah. But that, that car, love, I didn't call it lovemaking, that, <laughs> that car sex scene is just like, it's just one of the most brutally awkward, like, film oh. encounters you can see. Yeah. So uncomfortable. So, oh, so just. Um, he apologizes. Yeah. He's immediately he's regrets. Like, he's awful. like, that was awful. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I think he means himself. Yeah, yeah. But Not, I, I, like, I don't I, think he's talking about her. Yeah, I think he's just like the this this is awful. Well, he's like, yeah. I mean, it's, sorry. I, I I think he's apologizing in a way. He's mm-hmm. just like, sorry, that was so awful. And he, I I think he still he still feels like kind of a protectiveness or something towards her. Yeah. But but he also feels, you know, probably very ashamed of himself in uh-huh. that moment and just kind of. Um, yeah, it's just it's just unfortunate the whole the whole thing. Yeah, but the implication is, is they're going to go do it right, right? Yeah, well, she goes in. She says, "Like, will you wait here for me?" Yeah, yeah. And she goes in that great scene in the bathroom. Oh man, tearjerker. Yeah, like yeah. she kind of strokes his hair. Yeah, and it's like you you stay here on the couch. Yeah, um, we'll talk in the morning. Yeah, you just you know get some rest and. <sighs> Yeah, and he's like, I can drive you. I yeah, can drive he wants you. to drive, and she's just like, no. Yeah, even in 1973, <laughs> she knows like you're too drunk to drive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and I got the 
picture that like she's going to do this right mm-hmm. and go to a house. Yeah. To to the Carver's yeah, house. Yeah, maybe guess. so. Maybe or maybe so. her own house. Yeah. Uh, and really have sex. Could be. Could be. I, I I had not thought about it that way, but yeah, certainly certainly could. Um, I, I to me it kind of felt like they they sort of woke up from that. Mm-hmm. You know that 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 kind of idealized version they had in their minds of what that might be like. I mean, and maybe they just go have coffee and talk. That's that's more where where I kind of figure it went to is just that. Um, yeah, they're they're back to kind of being neighbors and friendly, and and they just two two adults that just want to spend a little time together, kind of pass this crappy night, you know, right. until it's the morning, make a connection. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and they have that great low speed car wreck. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. I've been in those before where oh, you're, yeah. you're going like four miles an hour, but you're slipping, and you're like, I can't control yeah, my car. Yeah, yeah. Like, there's nothing yeah. I can do right now. There's um, a there's a uh, a shot in um in a film that I think probably influenced this film. Uh, an Antonioni film called uh, La Notte, mm-hmm. The Night, um, which is part of his trilogy of kind of, um, you know, alienation and isolation and mm-hmm. so on. It starts with La Ventura and ends with uh, L'Eclise. And um, La Notte is in the middle of that. In that film, the third act is also like a just basically a party scene mm-hmm. where all these people are gathered together. Um, there's a husband and wife. Their relationship's not going well. Mm-hmm. And the husband is kind of like flirting and pursuing this younger woman. And um, so he eventually leaves. Uh, there's there's like a big rainstorm that happens. Everybody has to run inside and mm. the party kind of breaks up. And he gets in the car with this woman that he's kind of pursuing. And they have this long ride in this car um, as like the rain kind of covers the windows and you can't really see out the windows because mm. it's raining so hard. Um, it just the way the way some of those shots are framed are, are very, very similar to the way yeah. it's shot in this film. Um I think it's, you know, thematically, it, it makes sense that, yeah. that that would be a reference point. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, then, you know, then we are back with Mikey playing in the storm, and it's uh, it's so tragic what happens because he is uh, – he's so innocent and he's so so childlike. He's really being a kid. He's almost kind of regressed to like that that pure childhood sense of play. Yeah, he's out playing in play. the storm yeah. and he's he's sliding down the street. The way he's like jumping through yeah. the snow at that one point. It was really, really beautiful. And uh, I did not see what – you know, I, I did have a sense of foreboding the first time I saw it. But Something I certainly, bad was going to happen. But I certainly did not see yeah. this uh, – Power line. Yeah, this, yeah. this electrocution. Yeah. And even, you know, when it happens and it's, you know, it feels, and you see him. It feels him, like he has time to move. You yeah. Know? For a second, because yeah. the the line is snaking around for a minute. It's flopping around before it lands on it's, the on the it, rail. It might be like a little bit of uh, slow motion or something. Maybe, but it's definitely like there's a moment where he goes like, "Oh no!" and then yeah. boom. And uh, the way they play that too is just brutal. Yeah, because it's not a big thing. He doesn't even move. Yeah, and you're not even sure what happens at first. Yeah, and then when he fucking that falls, sh- that over. shot of the his body sliding down. Oh god, it's sliding so, on the so ice. brutal. Like, Ugh. and and it's almost. I think uh, on on the commentary, um, it's sort of like I don't know. Maybe not on the commentary. I think it might have been an, an interview with Rick Moody where he talked about that scene, mm-hmm. um, where he was basically saying like I didn't even know if they were going to show it to that extent. Yeah, that it's so brutal. There's 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 no like quote not, unquote restraint in that moment. Yeah, but it's, it's not graphic. It's, it's not, not graphic, but it's it's definitely looking right oh, at the thing. Yeah. You know? Which because, is a dead kid sliding on the ice. Yeah, because you could have you probably could have cut the scene right after he falls over or mm-hmm. something and you would have known that he was dead at that point, or at least been fairly certain. But the way yeah. that it stays there I'm on glad the they body, left it in. Yeah, I am too. 
I mean, it's a gut punch. But it's it is like a really really harsh you know yeah. moment in the film uh, that that is necessary for it to work. But um, still, it's it's a little surprising that mm-hmm. that the, the the tone shifts so um, strongly in that direction. Well, yeah, because it's so it's already like there's so much turmoil, and it's such a sad movie. And then, like at the end, they fucking kill this kid. Yeah, it's just like, what is going on? Yeah, you know, it's you know the the thing I've often kind of debated with myself about this movie is whether, in some sense, you could say it's kind of a fundamentally conservative movie, in the way that it's suggesting that all this kind of permissiveness mm-hmm. and and these kind of like leftover ideas from the '60s you know, extending into the 70s, extending into parents being absent from their kids' lives and, mm-hmm. and so on and so forth, if if Mikey is not in some way sort of like the sacrificial lamb or like the the he's he's sort of like paying the price for all this kind of social permissiveness in a way mm-hmm. that that um in the same way that in like Forrest Gump, Jenny right. is kind of like yes. she receives like all the kind of um backlash, let's say, right. from the 60s that, that ultimately yeah. she dies. Well, and Forrest Gump has very famously been, you know, championed as right. uh, very conservative. And I think the reason that this is not ultimately a conservative film is that it has no illusions about the past mm-hmm. being any better, yeah. let's say. It's it's really not saying um, we went too far in the 70s, mm-hmm. let's turn the clock back 20 years to the 50s right. and all will be good again. Right. It's kind of saying that these people have become disillusioned with that setting, Mm -hmm. the 50s, you know, that kind of um, much more, you know, leave it to beaver kind Mm -hmm. of style of life. And and they're looking for something and they haven't found it yet. Mm -hmm. And the thing that they have found is kind of a false, like, uh, ideal. It's kind of like, um, it's the wrong answer, Mm -hmm. you know, the way they're going about it. But they are trying to find this new thing. They just haven't found it yet. Yeah. And um, and their their generation kind of doesn't find it necessarily. Mm -hmm. Yeah. but it's it, ultimately it is, I think, a more forward-looking movie mm-hmm. that is, you know, it's just saying that the search for meaning is is difficult, you know. Um, but it's it's certainly not saying we should go back to this, that, or the other thing. Yeah, I totally agree. Yeah, that's an interesting take. I never really thought about that. Um, so you know, Mikey's gone, and that you know, the last like six minutes of this movie are just like if you thought you were depressed before. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like. Heaping it on top of your of your brain at the end of this, uh, when he carries Mikey mm. home, and uh, you know, and and the and Mr. Carver meets him outside. Well, first the you know his his wife and daughter are the first to see. Yeah, and it's sort of like immediately it's the three of them, and then Jim kind of you know gets, yeah, and gets you wonder at later. first if you think that he like hit him with his car or something, right, right. But because there are no words being spoken, he he says. Um, he finally says to his dad, it's like, "Like I found him over on Silver Lane." Yeah, the power a, line. I think it's a power line. Yeah, and that's but, that's about oh, all he can say. And it was the way they shot it; it was just so brutally real. Yeah. Um, well, because now it's morning. Yeah. Everything is exposed. It's daylight. Yeah. It's sort of like that feeling of they've all been up all night. Yeah, they've all been up all night, and like in the night, things drop off into shadow. It's hard to see. You know, it's hard to get a, a, an objective view of the whole situation. Yeah. And then in the brutal, harsh reality of, like, daylight the yeah. next morning. Probably still kind of drunk. Yeah. Now suddenly everything is made clear and yeah. things that 
I mean, it's weird. It's like it's like the the nighttime, the storm being frozen in. All that kind of affects them psychologically, mm-hmm. and it it drives them into you know ways of behaving and, mm-hmm. and crossing certain boundaries that they would never think to do, like in in just like a, a warm normal day, right? Yeah. But it's it's because they've they've been caught up in this thing, mm-hmm. and now it is like. There's there's like another shot of like uh, the tree line mm-hmm. with like the ice kind of like maybe starting to melt a little bit yeah. and uh, and like the the sun and the clouds and everything and it's also very beautiful but it's at the same time it's intensely sad yeah and and it is this kind of realization of like what have we done what you know it's almost like the the morning after the the horror movie night ends yeah you know yeah. it has weirdly has the same feeling yeah um, and we we should mention too the uh, the great part where um, Joan Allen walks in on Sandy and Wendy in bed yeah, yeah. and she just she takes a beat mm-hmm. and then she just goes get dressed yeah like it's not this big show like uh, Ben would have done yeah and did yeah uh, it's just this very quiet get dressed yeah and immediately after that is when when he, they show up with Mikey right and man the scene with uh with Mr. Carver when <laughs> he brings his son in the son that he is just fairly estranged from even and then when Sandy walks in, it's just mm, like brutal, man. Oh God, it's hard. Well, there, there's that moment first where Kevin Klein um, is almost like giving the body to to Jim, and um, the way he he lifts the body up, mm-hmm. and and Kevin Klein almost goes to help him. Yeah. And there's this look back and forth between them, like you better not fucking touch my kid. You yeah. Know? He, t- I, he I don't, takes I don't, him from. Yeah. Him. It's like I don't need your help. Yeah. Don't lay don't lay a finger on him. Um, there's just like this moment, you know, where they're looking at each other and um, and he kind of like braces him into his chest and yeah. brings him inside. And then, Fuck, I mean, the saddest thing is that he, he starts taking off the gloves and undoing and he's listening for a pulse, yeah. even though it's it's completely evident to everyone yeah. that he's gone. Um, but he still has to do it. Like, mm-hmm. It's just a very human thing. Yeah. And then as soon as he realizes, he just sobbing yeah you know? and the and way sandy uh windy comfort sandy well because she she takes a step forward to him and yeah. he backs off like he's kind of scared at uh-huh. first and then you know she she just kind of goes in and they really do embrace yeah and you know the camera kind of like spins around and you see like tears streaming down his face yeah which is interesting because you haven't really seen that kind of overt emotion from him Per yeah, because he's sort of the weird kid. Yeah. He's, he's like blowing things up and exactly. he shoots the G.I. Joe at her. And you're yeah. kind of wondering like, is his kid like on the road to... Is he like a school shooter or yeah, something? Yeah, I mean, before the, you know, we, that he, was even he has a thing. That, he has that moment where he says, um, you know, I'm going to I'm gonna put a firecracker on a plane and fly it into Miss So-and-So's class and yeah. blow the whole thing up. Um, I don't think he is. Uh, I think he's just, no. a, just a little weird just kid. Just a weird kid, yeah. Trying to figure it out. Yeah. But um, so you even, you even see him kind of getting mm-hmm. broken down by this. Who wouldn't? And then, yeah, and then, you know, cutting to Sigourney Weaver upstairs as she wakes up. Yeah. And you never even, she never even makes it downstairs nope. as far as what we see. You don't need to see that. Yeah. Um, it works. It, but I I get a sense from her, even when her eyes open and she's just hearing her husband crying, I think she probably intuits basically what has happened anyway. Well, that you know? something has happened. That that one of the kids is 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 dead or or something really, really bad, you know, has, has happened. Yeah, and it's interesting they don't show her seeing that because uh, she has not shown much love to either of her boys yeah. in the movie. Yeah. Um, and I think it might have read a little false if she came downstairs and broke down sobbing. It also I think just they been redundant, it. you know? Like, yeah, well, yeah. that's true, for sure. Um, and then, you know, the end, one of my favorite... Favorite endings and one of my favorite shots in the movie is uh, 
and and certainly Paul knows something is up. Like his whole family doesn't show up to pick him up. Right. The morning after he goes into Manhattan. Yeah. He takes he takes that beat where he's smiling. He's glad to see but them, like, but he's also like, but why what are you happened? here? Why are you here? And they have that great shot, man, of the three of them standing there. Oh yeah. And the train station just solemn. And the 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 score kind of building. And yeah. It, it always affects me because it's it's that moment where you realize this family is still intact. You know, sort of. The, yeah, sort of, but like, pseudo, you, but you get I mean, the feeling they're, they're they can all alive. Be saved. Yeah. And yeah, you feel like this might be the moment where Maybe. they all kind of wake up and, and things are going to be different from now on. But it's just that sense that... Is it hopeful? Mm, I, it's it's ambiguous, I think. Yeah. Yeah. But um, but yeah, just, just that, 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 that thought that, that, that occurs to me every time I see it of just... You know, ultimately, he has his family still. Mm-hmm. Um, at least they're they're around so that they can mend things, so they can fix things. Mm-hmm. The the carvers don't have that luxury anymore, right? You know, this thing that, that I think everyone had taken each other for granted. Exactly, it's not that, just it's him. that sense that wow, we are actually a family. We're not just these alienated individuals. Yeah. That we can actually still you know, love each other, help each other, connect with each other. Yeah. And maybe, maybe if there's like a silver lining in, in any of this, uh-huh. it is that they, they have that epiphany yeah. where they're like, it's not too late. We can still do something. It's But it's, they don't say it. They don't no. say anything. Well, like the, the, the whole last, like, you know, 10, 15 minutes are practically word free. Yeah. Especially just that car scene like that. It, it certainly would have changed. That, that gets me every time. Like Kevin you, Klein. You, yeah. You could have car. had dialogue there you could have had him say what happened yeah like paul doesn't even say what's going on yeah it's just the perfect use of he, no dialogue kevin klein starts crying and, and joan allen just says jim like you know yeah that's, that's the, that's one the only thing she says and and then the rest of it is just um bouncing around you know everybody's everybody looking at everyone else yeah um you know he he turns back around to his son like he's maybe going to break the news and yeah. he can't even do it yeah and he turns back around to the steering wheel he starts crying you know Toby McGuire at this point is is, is got to be like yeah something horrible has happened. Wendy has tears in we're, her eyes. We're all here, but but yeah. nevertheless, something really terrible must have happened. And I love that the the last shot of the movie it ends on Toby McGuire's face mm-hmm. just like not quite grasping yet. Mm-hmm. He doesn't know. He doesn't know what 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 went down. But it's it's this uneasy sense of like. Something really heavy is, has happened, and I don't know yet what it is. Mm-hmm. And then, and then you kind of realize because he's also the voice of the film. Yeah, this is sort of, um, you know, it's 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 another uh, whatever you want to call it. It's it's another like key moment in his life that's uh-huh. going to inform the rest of it, and that has informed the film we've just seen. Yeah, you know, his fantastic form. He's he's looked back on. Yeah, he's he's looking back on this really important moment in his life. Yeah, yeah, and and Kevin Klein. It's I love a thing in a movie where like. He's he's not crying for Mikey. No. You know? Yeah. That's part of it probably. Yeah. But like he's weeping for his life. Yeah. And what he's done. Yeah. And just that he's he's taken it so um like casually and thoughtlessly. Yeah. You know? And it's really at least for the moment, it's it's shaken him out of that. Yeah. Uh but but whether you know, whether things What what do you think happens? <sighs> Where's his family in six months? Yeah, it's really tough to say. In the I summertime, mean, they could they could um, they could kind of just like go back, you know, fall back asleep. I mean, that's what I think. Paul, happens. Paul's got uh, a couple more years left of high school, but he's yeah. already away. Mm-hmm. Wendy's going to be gone, and you know, similar time frame. If yeah, if uh, if she's going to like a boarding school type thing as well. Yeah, 
So, and then, you know, maybe, especially once the kids are out of the house, maybe they, they do get divorced or something, you know? Yeah. So maybe, maybe this is like, you know, one last hurrah of like, hey, we're a family, mm-hmm. but ultimately, you know, it's, it's too late. It's, I don't know. Yeah. I, 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 I do probably lean in that direction as well, rather than. Uh, not helpful. Everybody lived happily ever <laughs> after and, and kind of like. Nothing, nothing really says that they're going to no, turn it all around. No. Uh, man, what a great movie. New Canaan, Connecticut. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that I, I, the 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 setting in a New Canaan also interesting to me. That that is where Rick Moody grew up. Yeah, I knew that. And and um, the fact that they were shooting the movie in that town, mm-hmm. and people from that town, of course, had read the book mm-hmm. and were not happy with the book because it oh, really? it doesn't exactly reflect positively on. It didn't really show New Canaan. It shows a couple of houses in the woods. No, but just like the the kind of people who live there, let's yeah, say, or maybe. the kind of lives they lead, they they felt maybe like a little bit, you know, like oh, slandered by that. Yeah. Um, and so, but the New Canaan, um, Canaan being like a, a, a biblical idea. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, just the, like the, in, in the Bible, uh, there's like the whole story about um uh, like the the the, the false idol, uh, the Canaanites, and mm. you know Moses going up on the mountain, coming down with the tablet and everything. Yeah. Um, I always wondered. I mean, I, I guess it's not a it's not a conscious choice because that is literally where he's from. Right. But it did kind of make me wonder. At a certain point, is is he saying that um, everybody in this town is kind of worshiping a certain false idol? Like they're oh, look at you. They're 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 kind of um, got your film thesis paper already. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, they're 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 sort of. Um, they're 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 receiving these secondhand um, ideas mm. from the '60s that have like filtered out finally into the suburbs, you know. Yeah. And so they're all kind of playing catch up with what was happening in more like urban centers, let's say, mm-hmm. you know, five or ten years earlier. Yeah. But the whole idea of like free love and and kind of um, these these kind of uh, freewheeling sexual you know mm-hmm. uh, things and um, yeah, it's it's just interesting. Um, the, I don't know. I don't know if that's if that's yeah what the film is driving at. But certainly the the idea of like the ice storm itself being like uh kind of like this act of nature, act of God, whatever you want to call it. Uh-huh. There's there's a sense again in in these films we were mentioning at the beginning, like Shortcuts, like Magnolia, mm-hmm. that there is this kind of omniscient yeah. thing that is looking on, and that is in a way punishing these characters, but at the same time is also trying to. Um, wake them up out of yeah. their slumber, you know, and, and unite people again. Yeah. Boy, this is one of my favorite movies, Casey. Same. Absolutely. Glad we got to talk about it. Yeah. So one last thing, um, just, you know, more more thematic stuff that's kind of buried in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, when Sigourney Weaver is in bed earlier on, she's on the waterbed, she's reading, her husband's come home. Mm-hmm. She's reading a book by Philip Roth. Mm-hmm. And then if you look on their, their bookshelf by the bed, there's also like John Updike. Mm-hmm. And, you know, again, the family being named the Carvers, th- this film is kind of – it belongs to like that tradition mm-hmm. of 60s disillusionment with, say, the American dream. Yeah. You know, the picket fence and the, and the yeah, two right. kids and the like dog and all that. What's going on behind that picket fence? Yeah, yeah. And so it, it, it's tapping into that. Um, and it's interesting that it, that it so deliberately references that yeah. in the context of the film. Right. Um, but it's sort of tucked away at least. Yeah, it's, it's tucked away. Um, but it's just, it's, um, in, in a way I also think about like, you know, a couple years later, like American Beauty, for instance, Yeah. that, that similar kind of feeling for of, sure. um, 
again, suburban disenchantment mm-hmm. and, um, you know, set set in a contemporary, yeah. you know, setting, but very much the same idea um, that, uh, uh, you know, that there's there's beauty in the world. Mm-hmm. You know, you could say the same for the ice storm, that yeah. it's very beautiful, but mm-hmm. at the same time, it's also, there's a, there's a sadness there. Yeah. 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 We'll finish on this. So, do you like Radiohead? Sure. Love Radiohead. Do you like the album In Rainbows? I love In Rainbows. I love them all. Do you like the song House of Cards? I love them all. <laughs> so, all right, the lyrics to House of Cards are, are more or less inspired by this film. Mm-hmm. Um, probably the, the, uh, the most direct gesture towards it, the infrastructure will collapse from voltage spikes. Throw your keys in the bowl. Kiss your husband. Good night. Oh. Um, forget about your house of cards and I'll do mine. Forget about your house of cards and I'll do mine. Fall off the table, mm-hmm. get swept under. Denial, denial. There you go. All right. Do you think that's what they were thinking? Oh, yeah. Because the, the even the idea of the key party, mm-hmm. I kind of assumed it was a thing that really happened in the 70s. It is. But it, it's I, – I feel like our, our, our cultural awareness of it is almost like it, it's more due to this film. Maybe I'm wrong, but um, – I had the understanding anyway that that it, it's almost like a you know it, it's the kind of thing people talked about going on. Mm-hmm. There may not be so many like firsthand accounts of it, but I, sure. I think certainly Radiohead here um, is thinking like explicitly of this film when they say "fall off the table, get swept under." Mm-hmm. It's like Benjamin Hood standing up, mm-hmm. banging his knee on the table, um, throw your keys in the bowl, kiss your husband goodnight. Yeah, you know the infrastructure will collapse, the voltage spike, all that stuff. Yeah. I think is is pretty pretty consciously evoking this film. Yeah, I'll have to do a little digging on that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, man. Well, that was great, and uh, we'll figure out what we're going to do next time. Yeah, this has been um, kind of two pseudo mainstream movies in a row. Sure, if you want to call it that. So for the next one, we'll try to. Try to find something really far out. All right. That sounds good. Yeah. All right. Thanks, man. Thank you. Movie Crush is produced, edited, and engineered by Ramsey Yunt here in our home studio at Pont City Market, Atlanta, Georgia, for iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Hugh Atchison. I'm a chef, a restaurateur, a traveler, and now I'm the host of The Passenger. People ask me all the time, you know, what's that list of places to go in this city, in that city? And this show is dedicated to that idea, immersing yourself in that culture and finding out what's intriguing and what resounds and what we think about the future of that place as a visitor, as a passenger. Subscribe now on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Teach Me Something New, a new podcast from iHeartRadio and Britain Co. I'm your host, Britt Morin. This show is about inspirational thinkers, scientists, artists, and CEOs, and the things they've learned that have transformed their lives. I'm tasking these world-class experts to teach me something new in less than an hour. Listen to Teach Me Something New on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.